right, good morning class. Welcome to Art Eater podcast number 41. So the uh, Art Eater and Friends podcast is where we take deep dives into the artistry and history behind our favorite video games. And uh, sometimes we talk about comics and movies and other cool stuff too. Uh, So the topic of today is Sega, specifically uh, the aesthetics of Sega games, uh, which are, you know, very special to us. So um, I I think this is a super fun uh, topic. Um, yeah, and we also have a very special guest with us today, uh, Chris Chris Eakins from uh, from Newt Industries, developer of uh, Risk System. So um, yeah, it's going to be a fun fun podcast. Uh, let's do a quick roll call. So um, I'm I'm your host, uh, Richmond. I'm the founder of Art Eater, um, and I also run a uh, indie game developer and art outsourcing studio called uh, Bidag. And yeah, you, you can follow me on Twitter at Richmond underscore L E E Richmond Lee. Um, yeah, check me out there. And uh, Sean? Hello, I'm Sean. Uh, usually here. Uh, I edit the podcast. Um, I'm a UI UX designer, uh, creative director. Uh, nowadays, I lead the design teams at uh, NZXT. We do PC gaming. Um, otherwise, I just uh, write and talk about and play cool games with these fine gentlemen. All right. Happy and this is, uh... Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, James, and uh, I'm a freelance storyboard artist, character designer, and comic book artist. And uh, I've actually been away for a bit, uh, just relocated, but I'm actually glad to be back. Uh, awesome to have you and, back. Yeah, that's nice. And I'm Thomas, I'm a front-end developer, uh, web developer from France, and uh, and I think that's all. I love fighting games, <laughs> and I'm very happy to be back again. Nice. And AJ. What's up, everybody? Uh, it's Adam here, AJ. Pleased to be here once again. I'm a games level designer, pixel artist, and also international taekwondo fighter. I go by AJ on Twitter. You can find me over there, AJ Mattis. I'm happy to be here once again. Yeah, this one's gonna be. Good. It's gonna be a good one. I'm hyped. All right, and then our very special guest, Chris. Please, please tell us about yourself and uh, what 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 you're up to. Well, I'm Chris. I'm very happy to learn that I'm very special. <laughs> um, <Hey. laughs> yeah. wow. yeah. right. um, I am, I am uh, half of the development team at Nude Industries. Um, so we're a game developer. Uh, current, current game out on Xbox, Switch, and PCs, Risk System. Um, currently working on a new project called uh, Bangle and Maggie which should be revealed sometime in the near future. Uh, and I'm very glad to be here because Sega is a huge inspiration of mine. Nice. Yeah, um, yeah. thanks for suggesting the, the topic here today. Yeah. That's a nice guest because he comes in and he, he gives us the topic so we don't have anything left to do and we just can't <laughs> let him talk. And that's <laughs> like, we'll just we should, put the mic on you so for, for the next two so, hours. <laughs> yeah, we should we yeah. should have more quality guests like this one. Like that's, Absolutely. That's, that makes the podcast easier. Just like, yeah. how do you feel about Sega? Then just like sit back and just say nothing. It's, it's, to, it's totally good. It's easy. Yeah. yeah, just go in the recliner mode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Let's. Um, okay. Okay. Just to just to kick things off, let's let's quickly. When, when I say Sega, like what, what's the first image that pops in your mind? Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Like for for me, um, first thing I see is a, uh, you know, uh, Shinobi Three. I, I see uh, Joe Musashi on you know this awesome ninja on like a jet ski, just jetting through the water and like this endless blue sky and just like fighting, you know, robots and um, it's just awesome. <laughs> uh, 
I, I just I, think awesome. I, that's I like how Ninjas on Jet Skis sounds like something that just like a kid would come up with is like, oh, it's a cool game. <laughs> you and you're like Ninjas on Jet Skis, and then Sega actually made it. Yes, <laughs> that's that sounds like you know the. The, the the thing from the simpsons where they're like what do kids like these days they like dogs they like surfs they like cereals so we are going to do a dog eating cereals on a surfboard <laughs> that looks like the no, same absolutely. thing i mean like listen though like yeah. just to have a little quick throwback to one of the last podcasts like that's what was it ninja baseball batman that's, that's how that occurred right that's, that's, <laughs> that's literally that's literally what that is yeah if you, if you want to have a listen to what that what, to what it is that I'm even referencing there, have a look back at one of our previous podcasts. I forget which number it was, but it was, I think it was the last one that we did. Yeah, we speak about that at length. Yeah. Yep. All right, all right, Sean, what's the image that pops in your mind? So this actually surprised me because I was like, all right, Sega. And actually, uh, it was Echo the Dolphin. Um, uh, I don't know. I associate like a lot of my wow. chat. I, I talked about a previous podcast, how I didn't actually have a Sega Genesis of my own for a while. I used to go to a friend's house to play it. Uh, and he had like Sonic and, uh, you know, like Streets of Rage and stuff like that. But for whatever reason, I really enjoyed Echo the Dolphin. It's a really good looking game. Um, we played it at his house for a bit. So, yeah, I'm, I'm as surprised as you are, uh, to right. be honest with you. But Echo it's the Dolphin. It actually holds up really well. And um I think it kind of goes back to, I mean, it's it's obviously a, a dolphin game, but I mean, a lot of the games of the time are, it, it's still kind of like a side-scrolling action game. You're just a, a dolphin instead of, you know. It is a much weirder game than that, actually. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's, 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 it's way yeah. more than that. It's, it's not like Subnautica where, like, you're a real dolphin that's just doing dolphin things. I mean, you're doing dolphin things, but yeah, no, he's, he's right, it's yeah. a much weirder game. <laughs> All right, well, we, we can get more into that, but um, uh, James, nice. James, what's the first image that pops into your head when I say You know, I had, I had a bit of a shocker, too. Uh, you know, I didn't think of the weird stroganoff that Sean thought up in terms of Echo the <laughs> Dolphin, but uh, I actually thought about uh, when you're actually selecting your radio station in OutRun, when you're actually at the dashboard and you're selecting the music before the race starts. That was, like, the first thought I had when it comes to nice. Sega. Just, like, the the whole, like cool breeze you hear the ocean in the background like 16-bit ocean because there's no sound like 16-bit ocean um <laughs> and just picking my radio station before i started a race like that was the first thing i thought of beautiful all right uh thomas what about you uh that's going to be surprising too because i was going to say the, the first thing uh i think when i when you say sega i think about the the basically the the blue of sega you know the mm -hmm. uh, like the, the blue color but um the first game or picture, I would say, reminds me of Sega, like, oh, that's a Sega thing. It's the first time I saw a 3D game, and it was actually a demo for uh, the second episode of Panzer Dragoon. And um, oh. on the Saturn, like, like my cousin had uh, had all the new consoles, and sometimes he, he would give me, give me his old ones. And I remember it was Christmas, and uh, at the time, I was still playing on Master System, on my Master System, playing Alex Kidd and, uh, in Miracle World or things like that. And um, which has a blue sky, so <laughs> that's surprising. But I remember being shocked because suddenly he, he, he had the demo CD that, game, that came with the, with the Saturn, the Sega Saturn, and he plugged it in. And we were in the, in the, in the kitchen of my grandmother because everyone was having dinner, you know, in the in the big living room. And suddenly on this small TV, there's like a, a 3D dragon flying everywhere and uh, shooting lasers 
all the time. And I think in the demo, it was the, the stage in the forest. So I have a vivid memory of this 3D forest and blue beams uh, going through uh, and the, the, the 3D camera, you know, that you can turn in every direction. So that's uh, that's my, my most first, most vivid memory of really something related to Sega. Like, oh, that's something for Sega, you know. Oh, nice. <laughs> All right, Adam. Yo, okay, so guess what? I, you already know what I'm going to say, but it has to be Sonic Advance 3 for me. Like, it's the first, yes. it's one of the first um, Sega games that I ever really, like, played. But on top of all of that, anyway, I got it at a very, like, sort of peak, like, time in my life. I think I was, like, eight years old, I think, my eighth birthday. But, like, yeah, whenever I think of Sega, I always remember, like, just the joy of, like, experiencing like, the rush of that game. I'm going to put in a couple of, like, cute little videos here. But there's a, there's a very specific area in it, too. It's called um, Sunset Hill. And basically, it's very much like um, like one of the first levels in any kind of a Sonic game, Green Hill Zone. But it's kind of like a bit of a revamped version of it, and it has a really nice soundtrack. It's got a really nice sort of like feel to it, especially in terms of the the backgrounds. Have this like lovely like summery like feel to them, and like the the art and the pixels are beautiful. But on top of all that, as well, like the music is great, and it just encapsulates, at least for me anyway, the sort of the the zest and like the useful fun and like the kinetic energy, the dynamism, the the ability to sort of like combine different aspects of each character. And obviously in this game they have this tag action system that lets them work together and stuff. But yeah, like overall the first thing that I think of when I when I'm thinking of Sega, it's it's this game for sure. It's it's a peak peak Sonic game for me. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it's a beautiful game. Mm -hmm. All right, Chris, lay it lay it on us. What do you where where does your heart go when you hear the word Sega? So this was actually tough because I would every time I'd be like, all right, picture something, it was something different would come up, but the, the most common thread was actually the uh, image of teleporting into Forest One uh, in Fantasy Star Online. Nice. So like there, you'd be connected and you're, there's this like little loading sequence and then there's just this like sound as your character kind of just, you know, appears in this lush green forest with those you know, blue Sega skies and there's like little like God rays of lighting that are modeled coming in through the trees. And it's just, yeah, it, it's very, it's like the intersection of everything <laughs> for that sort <laughs> of, that like theme park reality feeling of Sega. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> theme park reality. That's a very good description. Like, that's especially cause you know, they, yeah, they're rooted in the arcade. Um, I'd say even more than Nintendo, like they, they always brought that arcade feeling home. Yeah, absolutely. Like everything, for example, like uh, from Samba de Amigo to, for example, um, what do you call it again? Uh, Super Monkey Ball. Like all of the games feel like a party. Like, do you know what I mean? Like very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very uh, festive. And mm -hmm. maybe yeah, yeah. We, we talk about the, the aesthetics, but uh, maybe... We could, we could probably do another round and saying what is your first, you know, uh, a sound memory of Sega, and that will be interesting too because oh, sound. Oh, that's an easy one for me. Sound of I mean, music, the, you know. I was okay. to say like Sega, like everyone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you gotta you gotta put that one out. That, yeah. That, yeah. For, yeah, that's like super for me. Super cool. It for me it was 
Rise from your grave. We, I remember, we, we got a Mega Drive um, uh, early on. Um, so my 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 older brothers, I think, uh, went went to Hong Kong one summer. I didn't go with them. They came back with a Mega Drive a year before the Sega Genesis came out in America. So that was like, we had the arcade at home, and it was absolutely amazing. And uh, I remember the first game we had uh, booted up was uh, Altered Beast. And that game scared the crap out of me because <laughs> it was such a jump from uh, NES graphics to like these full color. It, back then, it seemed like unlimited colors, you know, like it, it just seemed so full and the sprites were so huge and there were like digitized voices. Uh, I, that, that's the first voice, like a human voice I remember hearing in a video game. Yeah. Very sonically <laughs> unique uh, games. Mm, absolutely. Mm -mm -mm -mm. I'll go, I'll go next then. I think the most sound like related memory I have of Sega games is um, is the the world Jet Set Radio experience, basically. Oh, and yeah. oh. especially the, the, the DG saying, Jet Set Radio! Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah that's the, the Sega, you know, logo is obviously the... the, the the first one, but uh, I remember getting a, a Dreamcast just for this game, just because, you know, inline roller skating was a big thing in the, the late 90s, early 2000s. And it was like a game about, uh, rollers, about roller skating and everyone was mm -hmm. crazy about Tony Hawk and I, I couldn't for whatever reason do any skateboard so i was like ah <laughs> i need my game with rollers because i'm doing inline roller skating you know and <laughs> and, <laughs> and this game comes out and it's not actually it's not you know uh tony oak style at all like it's a vandalism game where you tag a thing and you are uh, you know, pursued by the cops. So that was even cooler than, uh, than action vandalism genre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it. I think when it, it comes to, I guess, an iconic sound for like the Sega experience for me, I think the one that holds true, it probably has a bit of a bias because I'm a vaporwave fan, but I think the Dreamcast fanfare, like mm. when you, when you boot up your Dreamcast, like that is like a, a sound that has stuck yes. with me for a very mm -hmm. long time. Uh, it's kind of like when you hear it, it just relaxes you, you know, like I could have come home from like a long day at work or a long day at school and you turn that on and like nothing else matters, you know, it's just like, yeah, like you're here to relax. You don't have to think about anything else yeah. that happened during the day. It's just, you're here for the entertainment. And, and you know, how it, this sound sounds like something that comes out or, or resonates inside water. That's yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, and that it, feels so Sega because of the I don't know the of the blue sky, the sea motif. Yeah, the, the, mm -hmm. you know, that's you know what it, that's it's, so it's, what's interesting, right? Is that that same calming feeling? I don't know if people might remember this or not, but uh, Toshiba Emi used to have a uh, like a water, like an ocean wave sort of uh, I guess fanfare before their animated production starts. And it kind of calmed me the same way that the uh, Dreamcast boot up sounded. So it reminded me of that, like yeah, quite yeah. a bit. Absolutely. Do you know who composed that sound? We talked was about a, this. Yeah, yeah. It, it was composed by Ryuichi Sakamoto of Yellow of Magic Orchestra. Of course. Yeah. Sakamoto, the god. Of course it was. Yeah, what? one of the greatest uh, film composers of all, all time too. What? 
he composed the Dreamcast startup noise. Wow. He oh came God. up with the perfect noise for it. It, it, it just embodied, wow. you know, all the, the dreams. Yeah, yeah. That you know, just, it, yeah. Just a little drop you knew you were in for a good time. It's the most ethereal ultikate feeling that you could have. Like before yeah. you play any video game, he's getting like, like Richie Sakamoto. Is for me, he's like the 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 next composer after in my heart after the the how uh, ah he died recently. The the Western composer that I uh, that you all know, um, Ennio Morricone. Mm -hmm. Oh like, my goodness! To, to, yeah. to me, it's like the the the, the Ennio Morricone from uh, from Japan. You know, <laughs> that's mm -hmm. uh, that's the kind of legend for me. What it is and. Uh, Probably you've all heard the the theme of um, of Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. I suppose. Of course, absolutely, because, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's everywhere. Yeah. 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 did the Dreamcast. Oh my God. It's <laughs> <laughs> incredible. Amazing. Now, I've got a couple. Yeah, I've got a that... couple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, go, go for it. Go for it. Oh, cool, cool. So, just um, in, in terms of what was mentioned earlier, I was going to mention Jetta Radio too, but also this one. Yeah, humming the baseline. Like it's such a simple track, but you hear this when you when you're um, when you're choosing your uh, the characters that you want to play as, depending on what stage yeah. that you're at. Yes. But, you, yes. but this is yeah. the GG's like hideout and stuff, yes. and I absolutely love it. I I just actually got the I got to play Jet Set Radio for the first time last year actually. So like I'd heard about it for like a long period of my life, but I'd never had any systems like to play on specifically, and I didn't have the game itself. But I'd heard and seen all about it. But mm. going through it last year, just playing on it on the on the PC version, and just like just jamming out to the tracks doing all kinds of just sick moves like grinding mm -hmm. on the railings just mm -hmm. uh, yeah but all of that was really fun but especially this part just chilling out mm -hmm. maxing relaxing just having that really fun sort of chilled out summertime vibe that was really good and then another one that yeah. i wanted to mention too but gonna go back into sonic advance 3 real quick um there is this uh, zone in it called twinkle snow and like the way that the uh, that the music in this game, the way that it sort of like builds upon like different themes or what we would call it light motifs in music, like it is just absolutely like astounding to me. Like if you could, um, if you all oh, the listeners, but if you could just have a Google, listen to Twinkle Snow Act One, then listen to Twinkle Snow Act Two, and listen to like the ways in which like the themes that are presented in one are then turned and utilized in two. Like it's absolutely wonderful, and I used to actually listen to. There's, there's a, there's a, what was it called? There's like a, there's like a music mode in um in Sonic Advance after you complete the game for the first time, and you get to kind of you know just listen to all of the jams from the from the OST or just on your little Game Boy Advance. And I used to fall asleep to um, Twinkle Snow Act Two. I'd used to, I'd have it playing and have it replaying, Aww. and then I would just like have it like set up right next to my face <laughs> when I was in bed when I was like seven, eight, nine, ten, and I just used to fall asleep, and then I'd wake up and like my Game Boy would be like out of battery, and I'd just be like, yeah, it's good, it's fine, it's whatever. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, awesome. I, I would just, I would just love listening to it so, so, so much. Yeah, it was really good. Ah, that's great. Yeah, but if you have a listen anyway, you'll 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 hear what I'm talking about. Like, I'll, mm. I'll, it just embodies like this kind of like a, it's like an icy, twinkly, very like melodic like type of um piece of music here, and it's just like it's relaxing, but then like exciting at the same time, and it kind of builds up to a a, a larger crescendo, and then takes again different parts of the prior song, and then sort of lightly twists and flips them, and then it grows into another larger part of the song as well. It's it's great. Yeah, it's interesting that you 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 bring that up because uh, I. In recent years, I discovered a uh, 
a BGM for a game that's a Sega game that I definitely feel like I should have played, and I feel like everybody else played around me was uh, Fantasy Star Online's online lobby music. It's Day probably dance. some of the most amazing, uh, calming game music that I've heard in a very long time. And I think that if I had actually played PSO like back in the day, like that would have been something that would have come to mind, you know, in terms of music. But uh, yeah, much like uh, what you were mentioning, AJ, like this track is like, it just, it's like a box of wine, man. Like it just, mm -hmm. it just it smooths everything out. You're just like, wow, like mm -hmm, life mm -hmm. is good. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. absolutely. It yeah. makes you feel that for sure. Yeah. I, I feel like maybe something that we're, the feeling that, that I get from all this talk is like the, the Sega games fill you with this feeling of possibility, right? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. not just being in the moment, but also being excited about the future, like what's going to happen next. It's, mm -hmm. it's really mm -hmm. something. Yeah. And what, what about Absolutely. you, Chris? Oh, all right. Um, so fun fact to build off the uh, Jet Set Radio talk. Um, if you had SegaNet back in the day, um, yeah. the on hold music was all the jet set radio soundtrack. So you hear a lot of humming the bass line and stuff, but yeah, it, a lot of stuff has been touched on. Yeah. Day dawns from fantasy star online. The lobby music is just so excellent. And there's just so many, um, remixes of Sega music too, that come to mind because they're just, there's such a library of impressive, just great Sega music, but, uh, the thing that I guess the, the unique answer here that comes to mind would actually be um, the song Whirlwind from Shinobi 3 or mm -hmm. Super Shinobi. Like that, that song is like this, it's just amazing. You can find so many amazing guitar covers of it online too. But uh, in a keeping in with the water theme, yeah, that's the jet ski level. <laughs> and uh, it is just like, radical like <laughs> the music is yeah. just that's like the best like it's just the the perfect marriage of music mm. to experience it's so good oh man i just i love the mega drive and genesis like sound chip like i love the way oh, that yeah. the texture of it and it was a thing that i sought to emulate in my own music too so i was yeah, it's I just I love the crunch and the texture and the way that it's it doesn't go into the uncanny valley really for like musical instrument emulation. Like you can tell yeah. what the instruments are, but you but you clearly know they're not really those instruments, but it somehow matches the texture of the visuals on screen in such a way that it just like it feels complete and whole and like continuous in a way that like it's weird to have like super high resolution like real recordings being meshed up with pixel art sometimes because it just mm. so, it sometimes it just doesn't jive but like yeah. that that marriage really worked well with the genesis so that, yeah that's a really good point yeah like it, it, it's it's uh, it embraces being midi it, it's an abstraction of mm -hmm. instruments whereas um I, I think at the time the super nintendo chip was considered uh sub superior um, and I, I love, there's so many great Super Nintendo tracks too, but um, I feel like in a lot of ways, a lot of the Genesis tracks have aged better because of what you just said. Like they, mm -hmm. they're not trying to be so literal. Like like Super Nintendo brass or like guitars tend to sound kind of weird, I think. It's a similar concept to how uh, low poly 3D doesn't age as well, right? Because uh, it had like, um, you're at the SNS of that Sonic 
uh, compressor, but it, uh, to your point, it was only capable of doing so much. So at the time, it was really impressive. Um, but as it as as we got more better music, right, it uh, it didn't feel as good. But when you embrace the constraints uh, of your medium and you play to them rather than trying to like, it's almost kind of like. Um, trying to like like make like you know veggie meat that that uh that just tries to be steak or tries to be hamburger like it the the, all the best things are just embracing their constraints just trying to be what they are and trying to recognize um what the limitations of of their doing like and kind of more true to themselves in that i think there's something there where it's just uh we, we we talked a lot also a lot about how a lot of these great artists didn't rely on lighting engines or other things like all the all this artistry like they just it comes straight out of them they don't rely on the system to do the work for them and it just stands the test of time much better it's more honest yeah yeah hmm. it's something i definitely cool. feel with uh uh, uh Yuzo koshiro's uh approach to the music and uh the streets of rage like throughout the entire oh. Oh, I, was to, I was gonna talk about streets of rage why no um, one <laughs> talks about streets of rage yeah first? like i mean because the thing because the thing about it is that streets of rage for me was a catalyst for the initial palette of my taste in music and it grew from mm-hmm. there because you know there's a lot of like electronic music that obviously was of the times when streets of rage came out but that was the way i was introduced to it because i was a kid i can't i'm you know eight or nine years old i can't just go hey mom i'm going to a rave i might get shot <laughs> but you know music right like i can't do that so you know i'm playing streets of rage one i'm playing streets of rage two i'm like wow this is really cool music and you know you would hear stuff like this maybe in a movie but like there was a certain uh abrasion or like aggression that you would feel because of the limitations of their hardware but like it felt like he embraced it like just so like genuinely that you just feel what he wants you to feel in every single track it's like even even something as simple as the um i mentioned this before but like 16-bit like ocean sound like i know that that's not what the ocean sounds like but i feel (laughs) that that's what the ocean sounds like and even to this day, like when I listen to that play at the end of the staff role, it feels like the perfect ending to that track. Regardless of the visual that you see, even if you just hear it, you know, without any visual at all, you know that that's waves crashing in the ocean. Uh, and it just, it feels right. J- James, what, um, when I talk about, think about Streets of Rage, there's like the sound, and I'm hoping that you recognize it and can describe it better. But like, it's in like the the intro stages and later ones where it just it's it's a very Sega sound. It sounds like wow, when like as part of the music. Oh, track. yeah, no, 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 no. Actually, I know what he's talking about because it actually <laughs> was in the I think secondary or tertiary layer of the boss theme in Streets of Rage One, and then they started to put it in more tracks in streets of rage 2 it's there's like a it's it's hard to put into words but there's like a uh it's like a layered sort of sound that kind of accents like the previous like block of music and it kind of carries you into like the next layer of the track it's because it was on the guy's stage that kind of had the wolverine claws Mm -hmm. from the first from, from the first stage and then like they started to put it in more uh tracks there's a lot of really interesting uh like audible accents that uh Koshiro put in a lot of the tracks, but one of the things that I really thought was great was like he was the one person that said, you know what, for the last stage before you get to the boss, 
I'm going to give people 16-bit solo flex music, and that has never been like <laughs> it's been contested. Like it just it just feels right. You're just like this sounds like a solo flex ad, but I feel like I'm so <laughs> determined to beat Mr. X all at the same time that like hmm. it makes for a, uh, a a collective experience where you're just like, man, all of this works. I don't question any of it. You know, hmm. like it just feels it feels right. And I got a I was lucky enough to hear him perform uh live at a at an anime wow. convention and um wow. it was wow. it was very oh man it was one of the most visceral experiences i've ever had to hear and feel the beat in your chest of streets of rage music like you hear it through your speakers and that's one thing but like and you know if you're old enough and you played the activator like you know what it sounds like to have those <laughs> feelings in your chest but like to really feel it because he's playing it in front of you this is like one of the most amazing what, experiences. What does that What does that look like? Does he have a, a band? Is it just a bunch of instruments around him? No, like, it's it's he just has. I think he has everything locked on like a uh, like some sort of like keyboard or like a synthesizer. Like he has like like a setup, and he had like a laptop because this was at Magfest, I believe. Um, and he just went to town, and it was and it was cool because he actually let a lot of tracks just play out. It wasn't like a two minute and 30 second kind of vibe. Like you could just feel that he was feeling everybody there feeling the vibe of the track. So go straight went on hella, you know, <laughs> like, um, and it, and it just like the feeling of actually hearing that live was like amazing. Like if, if, if anybody ever had doubts about like 16 bit music or video game music composition from like a time where like hardware and software limitations were a thing it's like nah man just listen to anything he made not even just streets of rage but i mean we're talking about sega so i'm gonna keep it there but um he was just an amazing composer and the limitations were like they weren't even limitations to him i don't think he just was like i'm going to make music and i'm using the tools that i have and i know how to make this actually be music you know hmm. so yeah a lot of love for his work on on streets of rage to me it's like audible authenticity that's the best way i can put like what uh you know kosher provided for me and for a lot of people yeah i, I just mm -hmm. want to drop some fun facts about uh yuzo koshiro so his mother uh tomo koshiro she was a professional pianist and uh, she's actually oh. the founder of ancient corp it was a family business with uh, between oh, wow. him and his sister and his mom and uh, she taught him how to play piano at the age of three and then at by 1975, I think he would have been uh, eight years old then, he started taking music lessons from Zoe Hisaishi, you know, the, the, wow. the Ghibli composer. <laughs> so he's, uh, he's had an wow. uh, amazing musical uh, background uh, for all his yeah. life. Um, and his sister did yeah. the art for the games. <laughs> wasn't? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yes. And, and yes, wasn't? Ayano Koshiro. Wasn't uh, his mother? Yeah, amazing artist. Yeah. Wasn't his mother that told him to? I think it's 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 mother that told him to negotiate the rights of his music, so he would not sell his music but license his music, and that's why on the games where he does music, there's like a copyright uh, Yuzo Koshiro, and he, he was one oh, of the first brilliant. video game artists to do this because at the time you 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 just composed things and everything belonged to the company, and that's actually still the same today for a lot yeah. of uh, game companies, and so. He made, uh, he made contracts, and I think it was his mother that told him that. And uh, that allowed him to remix and uh, play his tracks, you know, in concerts oh, and live, wow. because he was spending a lot of time in the, um, 
in the in nightclubs at the time that's that's where the influence of uh, street of rage music came comes from and you can see why the the street of rage music from the first to the third is very different because um because the 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 sounds the music that were played in in, uh, in clubs at the time evolved super fast and uh, they kind of followed and explored a lot of things there, there were i think it's red bull that did a lot of things uh with uh with yuzo koshiro and his uh his teammate on street of rage street of rage 2 and uh so if you are interested you can uh you can google that but uh, there's a lot of things interesting about them absolutely one more oh go on oh sure just go, real go, quick go, go. um koshiro he also developed his own programming language to work with the uh, Sega oh, sound chip. Wow. So that's why yeah. those games have such a really unique sound to them. Mm -hmm. yeah. oh, that's so I cool. just wanted yeah. to to ask you folks, we are talking about amazing things for for more than 30 minutes now. Do you remember the sound, the, the Sega sound for Sonic 3D Blast? Uh, I'll uh, so. No, I no, don't. I'm, go I'm going to Is, just was it different give it from to you. the other games? It's different and not in a good way. Hmm. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, okay. I heard it. Yeah, it's like a big scream. Yeah, I do a not guy, remember it. A guy screaming, Sega! <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. That, that's how they did the ad campaigns back then. I, yeah, I never was, understood what thing. happened <laughs> for this game. <laughs> wow. Yeah, actually. I think I blocked that out of my mind, and now I'm remembering that it was in every yeah, yeah, yeah. ad that it was like somewhere like maybe a, like a year or two or three maybe after the, the Genesis debut, everything became Sega, and it was like, oh god, stop! Like, I'm, like, I'm with James. Doing? I had I had removed this from my memory. Thank you, Thomas. Now, now I'm remembering all the ads. Yeah, no, yeah. no uh, you're welcome. That's that's what us French people do. We ruin your memories. <laughs> yeah, I, had no, I had no idea this existed, so thanks for that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and we create new yeah. awful ones. <laughs> I was say, yeah, I, obviously, those ads weren't like for like me at the time because I was like a little baby or like not all that. So yeah, there's a lot of that. But um, yeah, like I was, I was just gonna put in uh, Streets of Radio One. Like um, the character select music in that is absolutely rad. Like I'm just listening to it now. I just put it in earlier, but yeah, it's got such like a lovely like bass crawl to it. Like I also love the way that the um the piano's being played over the top of it. It's got a very like bluesy vibe too, actually, with the sort of like trilling like back and forth of certain notes and stuff like that. Definitely very uh, heavily inspired by a lot of that type of music for sure. Definitely it. ahead of its time back then. Absolutely, absolutely. Like a real nice yeah. groove. But also another thing that's really cool as well. I was just putting in different pieces of art and different bits of um. Of, you know, like cover art for the games, for example, like Art on the Genesis, like Streets of Rage 2 and stuff like that. And I was thinking to myself just earlier how like iconic so many of these images like are. Just the just the idea of like depicting a, a brawl on the street. It, it doesn't sound like it would be something that would be too interesting. But in terms of the visuals that we're looking at here, just the composition, the idea of like, you know, the lighting, having so many characters on screen at once, but then having them in such like defined poses and like really being able to show the sort of dynamism and like the kinetic like sort of like energy that's being thrown around and everything. Like it feels like a moment in time. And it's like it's not just a it's not just a cool image. It's actually like a like a like a depiction of like a fight and a brawl that is going to continue after the, you know you stop looking at it. If that makes sense. So yeah, I really I really really like that for sure. 
And then also yeah. one other funny thing as well, actually, like one of my, um, well, for when things open back up, one of my actual cosplay ideas actually is to go as Adam from uh, Speed of Rage, because I've always wanted oh. to do this. Nice. Yeah, like I've mentioned yeah. before, like I'm a martial artist. I, I do this like, in real life. So it's like, it's a thing which I've wanted to do for quite a while. And I actually had plans to do so before the pandemic hit and stuff. But once conventions open back here in England, at least, that's one thing that I'd love mm. to do. Because I got I got the jeans. I, I only need, I give me that yellow vest. My hair's looking slick already. <laughs> like, I got some kicks. I got some punches. Yeah, and you've got, you've, you've, got, yeah. you've got the kicks. <laughs> you need just yeah, the flames <laughs> now. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That's it. And funnily enough, that's, that's all That's all I need. That's all I want. Yeah, just, uh, just give me some fire kicks. Yeah, give me that man of man <laughs> all the One Piece boys and girls out there, everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you re, do you remember the 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 Chinese co KOF cosplayers that did a, a, a cosplay with real flames like tinted flames oh, on the beach? Yeah, You've never yeah, seen yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah you should look into yeah, this. I, oh. yeah, I, I want yeah. to I want to see the the recording of your of your cosplay session on the beaches of uh, of uh, England. That's gonna be yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. We'll have to we'll have to sort that out. But yeah, I I really really love it. Just in terms of the um, not only just the like representation in terms of like having different people in in the game and stuff. It's just it's really interesting just the way in which they made this also like just so interesting from a from a like gameplay perspective too. Like so for example, like some characters look a bit faster than others. Some can jump a bit higher. Some are a bit more powerful. But like they're all still at the end of the day like interesting characters like visually too. So, like, they found a really good way to make that interesting and just to be able to give somebody and give everybody, like, someone that they can play as and find interesting themselves. And then on top of that as well, merge that with interesting gameplay, you know, mechanics and different values there. Really, really good stuff. Uh, there's something... Adam, can I expand on your point um, about that and the art? Yeah, this is really exciting. Okay, so when you said that, like, the when you looked at like the cover art and how it felt like the fight would still continue even when you were done looking at it. Um, I feel like that's a really big thing of that Sega and their art and their aesthetic tends to nail. And mm -hmm. like, and I think it comes down to, all right, let me see if I got this t pronunciation right. Skewmorphism. <laughs> oh, and it was yes, the, yes. yeah, mm -hmm. the, there's this, like, even, you know, in the art, but even just, like, the pixel art and everything, like, in Streets of Rage and even in Sonic is this, and Sonic is actually a really, like, big flagship, like, um, like, one of the things you notice that's different from Sonic than its immediate competition is this feeling of a palpable world outside mm. of the screen and, like, the layers of parallax and, like, mm. the way that that depth makes you feel like the world goes far beyond what you're seeing where like yeah. a lot of other side scrollers like you know or like a, you know platformers it felt more like you were looking at a map being played or like mm -hmm. a drawing like it just felt like a template whereas with a lot of sega games that sense of place was so strong because they you know they bothered to like really sell the the like you know the reflections on the bricks like on the ground in like streets of rage or just like the textures of like metallic textures of objects and all sorts of stuff like just in the background made you feel like like you're just seeing a segment of a place and it felt like connected and especially in like streets of rage 2 you'd see the backgrounds like you'd see the next stage in the background of the stage you're playing like you'd have this idea of place like i guess there's like when you go from like the ballpark to the the theme park was the next area i think and um yeah it was really 
it was really cool. And like they, and they, you know, they, they translated that to the character sprites and just made them feel like, like, you know, Max felt like just so imposing and powerful and particularly, I guess, sweaty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was like, it was such a, it, it, it was one of those things that really stands out as to why like that game like felt like felt textural, I guess. Like you could really, you had an idea of what the materials in that world felt like you had, you had an idea of their spatial relationship. And mm-hmm. that's a thing that like Sega was really good at making you believe there was more world than what you were looking at. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I feel, I feel that way with regard to like, I'll just put it in there, but like Sonic, the Hedgehogs and Green Hill Zone, like again, like just the way in which like we have this, um, the, the way that the parallax works on the sort of like the, the lake or the ocean behind Sonic, the character, I, I've always loved that. Just especially the way that, that they bothered to even like think about how the, how the, how the lake or like body of water would look just from like the sunlight just mm-hmm. being reflected down upon it and stuff just like when we look out at oceans and, and all the rest of it like it's not all just like one shade of blue do you know what i mean it's not always just all like singular sets of waves either like there are lots of like ripples and there are lots and lots and lots of like you know ebbs and flows and all the rest of it but especially in terms of it it's just like a giant sort of like massive glistening sort of like crystallized whiteness almost that's like a sort of like you know being shone back at you so like when they got that so like correct in terms of like how is it they'd apply these bits of pixel animation like to that as an idea like i've always always loved that and it goes back to what it is that you're saying as well like just the fact that they would even bother to make these worlds feel that much more realistic by applying you know realistic concepts as, as to how it is that we perceive the world around us but then also mm. sort of again like putting that through uh, a prism if you will of like the stylization that they've choose that they've chosen to go through with these games so like it's again it's applying these realistic concepts through the prism of the stylization it's just amazing i really love when developers do this well and it just shows and goes to show this uh, this skewmorphism that you're talking about before it's really interesting and i i think it, it, it makes a lasting effect which is why we're still talking about it today so yeah it's great yeah let's let's uh, dig into that some more like I, i'd like to know how that's influenced um you know your your own art and um, adam you're a sprite artist and uh, uh chris you know like you, you um you, you you do all the art for your games like I, i'd like to know how uh the sega aesthetic um has maybe if and how if if it's influenced uh, your work oh absolutely but yeah, chris you go on this one first yeah <laughs> okay um so yeah the um if so we'll pick out like risk system first as like the reference point because you know pixel art it's 16 or 32 bit aesthetic and um, the, yeah, I wanted each stage to have that same sense of scale and um, expansiveness. Like the the very first mission in Risk System is definitely um, influenced. Like the, you know, there, it has a very sonic vibe from its colors and it's, you know, you're starting off over the ocean. So there's just, you know, super blue sky and it's yeah. meant to contrast, you know, pretty pretty hard against like the red, you know, of the enemy fire and stages. And like, that was getting, getting that sense of um, place too was also, yeah, I, I tried to mimic that, you know, in mission two, you can see the, like there you're flying into a cliffside, like forest shoreline area. And you're seeing a storm that's taking place, which you'll actually fly into in the next mission after this bombardment 
uh, you you, know, you see the gate in the background of uh, at the beginning of stage four, which then sends you into space, which you're over the planet that you're you then go into the atmosphere on in stage five. And like, it, yeah, I just wanted to have this like same feeling of projection in place and just make everything feel like, you know, you came in in medias res, like, you know, the, there wasn't a whole bunch of story set up, but the, you had the feeling like everything was thought out and it was mostly implied. And I wanted to have that implication take place and just sort of allow the implication to be enough storytelling so it wouldn't get too much in the way of the game, but also... Mm like allow people to like sense it and feel a sense like that sense of immersion. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm really glad that you said that as well. Just in terms of like immersion, because one thing which I'm about to put in now, because I just, I love looking at sprite treats and all the rest of it, but just in terms of like how many animations there are for different, you know, like situations that you find yourself in, in Sonic games. Like for example, if you walk up to an edge in a Sonic game, for example, Sonic Advance one, two or three, like Sonic will teeter on the edge of it. And whilst he's doing so, his face will go through multiple different expressions. He'll be showing, you know, like the widening of his eyes. He'll have those sort of the classic anime-esque sort of like sort of uh, like sweat drops coming off the top of his head. He'll be kind of like a little bit nervous. The, uh, the line of action in terms of how much he's sort of like swinging and leaning back and how much he's actually kind of, you know, almost trying to regain his balance in a sense, obviously, because he's trying to do that. But it's very cartoonish. It's very overdone. But it's done in a way which is also, again, it's realistic to the situation and it's realistic to his personality as well in so few frames they're able to convey so much about a character and it's and it just speaks to the ability that you know that they that they had to be able to do so for example another thing which i really love is just again like the sprites that they've utilized in terms of like the environments i've got a few images here that i'll post in and all the rest of that but their ability to sort of show like sunsets and how it is that they can sort of you know not only just be one singular color like red orange blue whatever like it's the gradient through which they change that always just impressed me so much so for example like their understanding of light their understanding of again like atmospheric perspective another thing like just even the mountains at the back of an image that i've just put in there they have a very small bit of like a violet type tinge in there which is also present at the very top of the screen because as you know just in general like when we look out at the evening sky or the night sky even it's not all one singular color unless it's even you know so super pitch black but then if you're looking at a sunset you'll see lots of different colors in there you'll see obviously the closer to the sun that you get it'll get lighter and brighter but as you go away it creates a, a wonderful gradient like effect that we could also even just simulate in photoshop for example it's like it's the mixing of these colors and values that has always just been just so so interesting to me like they and they're just so good at it especially in terms of again giving it that stylization and that characterization like another thing which I've always loved as well, especially in terms of their ability to sort of like set a scene, like the palm trees that they utilize in Sonic games, like it makes you feel and think of, okay, hot climate countries, summer, warmth, like, mm. do you know what I mean? Like they, they mm. build a, an ecosystem just via the, just via the, uh, the images which they, they're utilizing. And they're making you think already of like what kind of places that Sonic is running around in. Like, even, for example, again, like, the utilization of, like, small woodland creatures and things like that in the very first games and stuff. It's, like, it makes you think so much of just the fact that this is a world which is in, which is inhabited. And then, obviously, you know, that has ties to the plot and stories with regard to Eggman, you know, capturing monsters and making... So, capturing creatures and making them into monsters, like, mechanical beings. There's also a very interesting, in my opinion, anyway, 
there's an interesting environmental aspect to Sonic's games too. Just the fact that like as we go into Eggman's lairs, they often become more mechanical, more based in more based in uh, pollution as well. Very specifically, you know, with words like toxic and like pollution zone and all the rest of it. Like they're very, they're very like specifically saying, you know, like this person here is poisoning our world, our natural ecosystem and habitat. And I think as well, just in terms of the the politics of that, I think with regard to Sonic and how it is he's you know actively working to destroy someone who's trying to take over his home and his territory and all of the you know things that come with that i think it does say a lot especially in terms of what it is that we're looking at you know like over the past 20 30 40 50 years with regards to climate change and things like this these are you know effects of climate change that exist at the hands of you know larger corporations the decisions that are made to you know pump waste into natural resources and landfills all the rest of it do you know what i mean so we see so much of that condensed down into a game for children but the base of it in and of itself it still exists and it's still there and even myself again like i picked up on that early on like you know being taught not to litter being taught not to you know like throw things away for no reason these things when you see them sort of like reflected back at you through a game such as sonic it makes you think again like oh wow like this is in my world but it's also in sonic's world too in a sense so it just makes you think a lot and especially in terms of again just to wrap up how that's portrayed in an artistic sense as well like even so they still make all of those zones like beautiful in some sense so for example like another one of the zones that i really 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 enjoyed was um wait what was it called again there's a zone i think it's in sonic advance like one i believe or is it two i think it might be in one but yeah but this this is this has been played upon a bunch of times where like you're running inside of like a spaceship that like it's a big like Eggman spaceship and like as you're going up through the levels like parts of it fall away so for example like you'll get up to a certain height in the in the level itself and then it, the game will stop and then underneath you you'll see the uh, the world that you were just sort of like running in it will you know as you've gone to like near the brink of space or past the brink of space into actual space it will fall away because you're in a, a level that's a giant rocket and I've always just loved the fact that again like it makes you feel like you're in a wider world. And the fact that that's always been portrayed again through such skillfully crafted pixel art is something which I've always wanted to to strive for myself and internalize in terms of how how it is that I look at what it is that I'm making. I think of again like character, world, the politics of it all, how it is that I can convey that to somebody through this medium. Yeah, seeing them do this is very inspiring, and it always has been. So, yeah. Very nice. Oh man! Um, just t- talking about Sonic, I just wanted to uh, drop uh, just a, a little bit of, um, well, not uh, trivia, basically. So Sonic is known for uh, being one of the first games with the idle animation, right? You're just talking about just mm-hmm. the ridiculous amount of detail they put into everything. How you know he mm-hmm. has animations for every situation, for brushing up against mm-hmm. things, running at different angles, mm-hmm. and uh, the, one of the big ones that everyone noticed was if you leave him alone on long enough, yeah. he gets antsy, he starts like tapping his foot, right? He's like, I gotta go, right? Yeah, he, look but, at, um, he looks at you <laughs> like, what are, what yeah, are yeah. you even doing? <laughs> right. and, and it kicked off uh, idle animations in games in general. Like, I remember uh, Bubsy uh, took it even farther. He would actually, like, reach into the screen and, and tap on the screen. It, it would be a screen-filling mm. sprite. So it, it kicked off, you know, idle animations. But um, the first game uh, that I know of uh, that actually did it was another um, a Mega Drive slash Genesis game that came earlier. It was a Castle of Illusion starring a Mickey Mouse, uh, which yes, came out game. in 1990. It's it's a beautiful game. It was yes. uh, directed by uh, Emiko Yamamoto, who um, she actually I think ended up working at Disney afterwards for for years and years, like for decades after that. And um, she made sure that it was like 
the game development had a very detail oriented process. Like they went through, you know, archives of like old Disney animation and like studied it frame by frame. And um, they really tried to make it an authentic uh, Disney game. And, um, you know, as, as part of that, they, they wanted him to remain alive, even if you're not touching uh, the game. And uh, that, that was the first game with a really uh, beautiful um, idle animation that, w- that would play independent of player input. So that's another gem uh, from Absolutely. Sega that, that's really worth checking out. Absolutely. I must say, actually, this was one game that I was, well, I was uh, briefly like obsessed with for, for quite a few, for, for quite a few months, uh, a long, long, long oh, really? time ago. Well, yeah, and absolutely. I, I studied this game like a lot back in like college times when I was. Um, I think it, I think it was about it was like the 2011, 2012 era, right before I sort of like took notice of like your article that you wrote about that time. But yeah, like I was really like looking for how it is that I could like learn how to do this, how how I could learn how to animate like a character, and make them actually you know seem as though that as though they had life like breathed into them. So like I was looking for a lot of this, and that actually was one that came up. So yeah, I love the art direction right. with regard to that game, and it's really really cool. I'm really glad you mentioned that because yeah, the backgrounds in it are absolutely gorgeous. Like the forests, like the trees, the idea, the just the, the stylization of the bark itself, the parallax, all of it, man, really 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 cool. Yeah, it's um. Let's talk about Sega's sprite art style, right? Like, I, mm. I think um, we, we touched on this with the skeuomorphism. Um, I feel like Sega games actually were um, as as cartoony and blue sky as uh, we, we recall them to be. They're also very detailed. They mm-hmm. were um, quite realistic, like quite consistent with like their light sources. And um, yeah, I just, I, I, I think Sega is underrated uh, for their sprite art. Like a lot of times when um, when you think great sprite art, uh, you, people rightfully think of like, you know, uh, Capcom. And mm. uh, uh, that, that's where my mind goes immediately, uh, you know, Konami and stuff. But but I think Sega is right, way yeah. up there. Yeah. You know, one game that doesn't get talked about a lot, and I think it's because because people don't know maybe they don't know really what it originated from unless they're like a weeb like me but uh last battle for sega genesis actually is a really incredibly detailed uh game at least within terms of the character sprites and how you interact with them uh you know for a lot of people that may not know last battle was actually a fist of the north star game for the sega genesis and you know because they the, uh, for whatever reason, they localized it and gave it a different title. But uh, there's a lot of detailed, graphically like violent uh, animations that are actually pretty intricate, uh, even for the edits that happened in the North American version. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a beautiful, beautiful game. Hmm. Yeah, the character Absolutely. sprites still look great. Um, Naoto Oshima actually worked on that game, who and he. Uh... Yeah, it's the designer of Sonic. <laughs> oh wow! <Hello>. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's why. Together. That's why he was drawing Kenshiro on Twitter a while back. I didn't. I. I, th- I was thinking like he draws an amazing Kenshiro. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know wow. that direct connection. Fist of the North Star and Sonic. <laughs> that. That's that was like the that... first. Oh, go ahead. Oh, just just it's interesting that Sega made so many licensed games, right? Because because uh, um, na- nowadays you think of uh, licensed games going out to non-first party developers, right? Like uh, Bandai or or you know Disney mm. has their own Disney Interactive mm. branch and so forth, right? But back then, like uh, 
Sega was making this Disney game and this uh, Hokuto no Ken game. That's that's hmm. pretty that's wild. Hmm. Yeah, that was actually one of my first Sega Genesis games, and uh, I mean that was my odd introduction to Fist of the North Star. Was that game, and then the animated movie that came out, and then like. I kind of went in a downward spiral. Well, not a, not a downward spiral, but like <laughs> oh, I, I went down the rabbit hole of of, yeah. of Hokuto no Ken based on the experience I had with you know this game. Like my dad loved that game. Like I'd come home from school sometimes oh, yeah. and my dad would be playing it. Like you know because he, he all all it took for him was to see uh, the chapter interlude like before the chapter starts, and it was a black screen. It's just Kenshiro walking, and then chapter one comes up behind him in like huge letters. And he just starts doing his fast punches and he does like the iconic, you know, like what I sound. And my dad was yeah. like, yeah, I need to play this game. So like, <laughs> yeah, a lot of, a lot of fun memories of oh. uh, last well, battle. When, when you were talking about license, I was like, I had that same uh, uh, impact where I was like, did they really do license? And then I remembered actually one of my favorite games. Did y'all ever play the Money More from Power Rangers game? <laughs> For Yes. For the Genesis? Yes. Mm-hmm. It was based on the movie, I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, it was. It was, yeah, it, was yeah. a, it was a movie game. Yep, yep. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was Sega, wasn't it? Uh, and then I think before the podcast, we were talking about Daytona USA. And I was like, oh, right, that's a license. Hmm. <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I didn't even yeah. think about I, that. I, that's such a Sega uh, game. I, I, I totally forgot. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. It's based <laughs> off of real life. <laughs> Like, I, did, did, I you forgot that Sega didn't, didn't invent yeah. NASCAR. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. I thought they invented, you know, the the city of Daytona for yeah. some reason. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Florida, Daytona, Florida yeah. didn't exist until Sega yeah. stepped in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just by the magic of uh, of the game. Yeah, Ar- yeah. Uh, one of my favorite, well, one of our one of ours, the group's favorite channel. They just put out a video a little bit ago about uh, 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 Takanobu Mitsuyoshi, the, the voice of uh, Sega's, you know, you know, like Daytona USA, everything. They put out a really cool video like about like him and about like a lot of his uh, like history and like life and stuff. But yeah, like really, really good stuff. I recommend that people check it out. But yeah, really, really interesting. He lended his vocals to uh, the last regular Fantasy Star Online 2 end credits theme. Ooh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a beautiful song. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. Okay, uh, Chris, Chris, if 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 you had to pick um, just one, one one Sega game for just uh, the uh, the sprite art, like which which one is your favorite? Ooh, I know I'm putting it's, you on the it's spot. Between, it's it's between Ristar and Streets of Rage 3, I think. Whoa, Whoa. really? Those were some interesting choices. Yeah. Can, let's get, get into it. Like, why why those games? And they're they're gorgeous, by the way. They're mm. gorgeous games. Oh, my God. Like, Ristar. Yeah, so Ristar has just such a just phenomenal color oh. usage. And, like, they, they yeah. took a lot of the concepts yeah. from, from uh, that, like, you'd see in like Sonic games, but they just brought them just so far. And like, this was, this was in the transition period where their, you know, Sega Saturn was coming out. So they were just really batting a thousand at that point, like really trying to make this you know, yeah. new mascot take off. And like the color choices, like if you look at a lot of uh, like pixel artists today online, like, you know, if you're on like pixel joints or whatnot and like indie artists, like if you look at uh Ristar backgrounds, 
like you'll see a lot of color choices that a lot of modern artists are using now. Like they have like a lot of neat pastel uses for atmospheric perspective, just super cool stuff. And then I love the, I, I really like streets of rage three. It was actually probably my favorite one for ever (laughs) you're way Uh, ahead of the curve there people are only just coming around to it now and the like so for years i was actually trying to figure out and and eventually we were able to find out the artist responsible for a lot of like like there's there's some large-scale sprite work and that was adapted from some like sketches like they 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 like pixelized or digitized um some paintings for um pixel art and the uh artist was <laughs> i wrote it down yes did yes. the art first I'm yeah so glad you brought him up that yeah and amazing. yeah and has that ever been uh, confirmed or that's it's been it's heavily speculated he also he did work for uh front mission and resetsu alternative so um but like the the amount of clues that are there because unfortunately back then a lot of this work didn't like they went under pseudonyms because of like poaching and stuff but like it's very highly likely at this point uh but yeah i I, that the artwork that i'm I'm sure i'm assuming it was used as like sort of key art and inspiration like really translates well into a lot of the sprites like the sprite work in that yeah. game um yeah that's it's between those two for yeah for that era yeah if if if, if anyone's listening um ryuichi uh sorry I'm, I'm, I'm mangling his name Let me make Ryuchi, sure ryuchiro uh katsuzawa i think that's yeah, it uh, pl- please look him up he's an amazing amazing artist like uh, you know, like uh, his work is more reminiscent of like uh, Katsuya Terada, that kind of like yeah. very uh, detailed, <laughs> like manly, yeah. uh, um, very uh, like fine artsy kind of um, uh, you know worldly style. Definitely influenced wow. by like like seinen manga and like Mo- Moebius and, and French comics and stuff. Like it, his work is so cool and so textured. And um, yeah, yeah, I he. There's no way he didn't work on Streets of Rage three because the the opening <laughs> scenes, like the spitting image of his art, and then that translated mm-hmm. so well to the actual sprites. And then, I, I I this is just a theory of mine. I have no no proof at all, but I strongly suspect he worked on the Holoseum games, which is um, yeah. a bit of Sega ephemera, but it was mm-hmm. a it was a pseudo hologram game. It was sprite based. It wasn't like three D or anything, but um. It, it was a game where uh, it, it was the cabinet was set up in such a way that the game was projected through like a mirror and it looked like a hologram of like these sprite characters fighting in three dimensional space in front of you. And the sprites are beautiful. Like they're, they're really good. They're, they're really, really underrated. And um, they're just like these big buff dudes. They're not super stylized. It's not like Street Fighter or something. It's like, okay, like this guy looks like a real Muay Thai fighter. Like this guy looks like a boxer. This guy got, you know, there's a karate dude and um, crazy good sprites. And because you're looking down at, at the hologram, um, it's animated at a top down three quarters perspective. And because it's on a mirror, they, they, they actually animated the, the mirror reflection of every character, which is insane. Yeah. Cause um, 
they didn't just flip it. It's like it's a totally different drawing. Like I, I would say it's more than twice as hard. That was probably like three times as hard just trying to figure out like uh you know getting that to look right. And it's a beautiful <laughs> game. I think it's actually one of the best sprite art games and like so far ahead of its time too. It, it's so nice looking. Like it, 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 you know, it, it almost looks like 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 uh, Street Fighter Three at times. Like like Alex could you know maybe yeah. fit in there. Alex could yeah. fit in easily. Yeah. Wow. Oh, man. Sega. Sega. Absolutely. There's just so much really cool stuff in here. It really is wild. It really is. I'm just looking yeah. at more of this. Uh, more of this art. And I saw that you were um, you were tweeting because I was just going back in the past really quickly. But you were saying that they had a, a really cool title screen for this game, uh, what Wackenroder? I think you, I think it's, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's called. But yeah, like I'm just looking at the way in which the title screen is working right now, and I absolutely love it. Like this is like this is my type of aesthetic for sure. Just like the intricacies of all of it, and just again the like as you were saying the the Tarada like um, the Tarada like uh, stylizations and just the the way in which that they've gone about the work it's really it's really really cool i'm, I'm really glad that you've uh, introduced me to this artist further very cool oh nice yeah let's um let, let, let's talk about re restar a, a little bit more because I, I feel like that's a cool. um restar ristar <laughs> like it's yeah. an underrated game it's a really beautiful game and um actually i i, I feel like uh, maybe it was. Uh, it must have been an influence on on on, on Risk System because uh, when when I was playing Risk System, I was like, it it's not quite like a Super Nintendo game, and it's not quite like a Genesis game. It, it to me, it felt like something in between. But then, no, I forgot. Like the last gen Genesis games pushed the color palettes to like. It looks like it's way more than sixty four colors. It it and they blend together so nicely. Like with. Did did that game's palette like was that a direct influence on on Risk System at all? Yeah, the the big visual influences for Risk System would yeah would like Risk Star and Fantasy Star Four were like mm. major um, major major <laughs> influences. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I named every character in Risk System after a character in Fantasy Star Four. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a favorite of yeah. mine um but yeah the the color choices i tried to um limit i was li trying to give myself similar limits and i wanted it to look like either it was like a saturn game or um a uh or like a dreamcast game uh okay. like 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 sort of like capcom versus snk1 but I wanted to like I, I limited the like any individual sprite to being sixteen colors, and then I limited backgrounds to being uh, up to thirty two colors. Some of them, yeah. So like, I try to you know keep things like under control to try to have things be pretty harmonious. But yeah, Ristar's color usage was definitely. 32 there. colors that's it for the backgrounds like per tile or like for the whole background per uh, for or? for so i would i would make a palette for each so that those 32 colors would be distributed through each of the background layers oh wow so whenever you were looking at like a particular background section it was maxing out at around 32 colors um so like so if you're like so in stage three there was actually three separate backgrounds there's like the entrance to this tunnel and then this like right. maintenance tunnel and then the like this like silo so each one of those had 32 separate colors they were pulling from but mm -hmm. um yeah i was doing that to try to keep things 
um, clean, readable, and like that limitation is fun to work with. Like it, it makes you make decisions that you might not have yeah. otherwise. That's really cool. I, I, I wouldn't have guessed it was that low. Wow, 32 colors. Like, it's pretty authentic <laughs> to old school games. Yeah. Absolutely. Ah. You can do a lot with a few colors. You can. It just depends mm -hmm. on, like, this, on the, uh, on, on the, what do you even call on the techniques which you're using, right? So, for example, like, one thing, I'm just going through a bunch of my other favorite, like, just images generally right now. But, like, just have a look at, like, this, for example. Like, this here, it's um sorry, I'm saying this on a podcast, but uh, I just put in an image of uh, something again from Sonic Advance Three. It's uh, from Chaos Angel, one of the areas, and like the ways in which the um, oh, something a bit loud in the background there. Oh, but uh, the, the the ways that um yeah, like what was I going to say? Oh yeah, the the ways that the dithering effects are utilized. Like I really really like that. Like it's really really sick to me. I, I love it. Just like just the fact that like they've got this uh, beautiful like giant sort of like sun and moon in the background and stuff. The ways in which you, that you've got this like set of clouds right, right below you and how it is that those are all parallaxed in. Just obviously you know the the large like pillars and stone that are just below you as well. Like the dithering and the very very in my opinion anyway the the beautiful cracks uh, that that show that are shown on the platforms that you can land on and just how it is again that like it takes a lot of time to learn how to apply all of these skills to make it to make it um to make the materials readable so for example you've got like different areas like stone and like marble all throughout this like zone but like just how it is that you can make those be shown and how it is you can get different areas of like specularity and like, the roughness and all the rest of it like it's kind of like you're doing like pbr in a sense but like you're just applying this through like a pixel art lens if that makes sense so for those who don't know pbr stands for physically basic rendering and it's just kind of like well it's, it's a lot to explain but um yeah it's it's how it is that we kind of would be looking at how it is you could get certain certain different areas of um of materials to be shown like when you're trying to create 3d um, games and especially when you're trying to create different materials for things like i don't know like metal or glass and it's just the idea that you can add like different areas of like rust to some or the fact that you can actually make them look a little bit like newer or shinier etc like we take these types of um we take these types of mindsets and like these types of like these types of ideals like into our own workflow when working on pixel art so yeah really really cool to think about uh chris i also wanted to ask a little bit like so you're talking about fantasy star influences a lot but there's like a ton of fantasy star games what's like the quintessential like if anybody looks at a fantasy star yeah. game uh they look at this one hmm. so that's tough um so if you're looking at um if you want to play like 3d somewhat more modern fantasy star i think that well First off, I should say every single one has really good music and great design, so you can't go wrong at least experiencing media from those games. Um, even the mobile Idol of Fantasy Star Saga has excellent music worth listening to. Uh, but so a modern, I think a great modern Fantasy Star would be Fantasy Star Zero on the DS. Uh, they did amazing work with uh, 3D on that console um and actually the character designer for that one was uh toshiyuki uh kabuka uh worked on uh giant robo and lunar 
like the oh, Lunar yeah. games. Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. Lunar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Lunar's my jam. So that, yeah, so that it, it's a beautiful game. Great. Uh, a lot of that whole, again, like theme park reality where there's these really small areas with low poly counts, but you feel that they're expansive. And like, there's a lot that there's a lot of really well executed artistic technique uh, for rendering the world. But yeah, this um, game's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's like HD and HD um, gameplay video on YouTube. If you want to just kind of watch and, and get a good look at how, how they worked the low poly angle into the designs for enemies and uh, equipment and areas it's it's really something it's really something neat but i i can't not say that fantasy star 4 is like the fantasy star like it's the quintessential fantasy star um it you know they adapted designs that um uh now to um, originally, you know, put together for uh, Fantasy Star Two, and they, you know, they just brought them into this like '90s anime uh, aesthetic, and you know, the 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 battles are rendered with backgrounds, um, which was the thing that was on and off for the Fantasy Star series. That they, they didn't always have backgrounds, but you know, there was vehicle-based combat, combat, a lot of excellent creature and mecha design. A lot of really like tokusatsu looking um monsters for like the dark oh, force yeah. monsters in that game just like the the physicality of things like going like i i had a you know i had a genesis growing up and my neighbor had a super nintendo and I, i'd play like a final fantasy game and it'd be like it felt like oh cool like you're looking at some pretty neat pixel art but there was this real like there was this it didn't feel like things existed in the same universe. Like, you know, a lot of the enemies felt like, like, oh, here's these cute little player sprites. And then here's this like, you know, static enemy sprite. But in Fantasy Star 4, they were, you know, you felt the depth, like, cause you were behind your characters. So it was like, you, you know, you saw your characters backs and they would actually go up to the enemy to attack them. And you'd see like the differences in scale and enemies would attack the player and, like it just felt so again immersive and it really made you feel like the world and just a lot of incredible design work in that game and um Reiko Kodama from um Sega AM1 which eventually became Overworks Studio uh worked on that game as well it, that in Shinobi and Streets of Rage to an ex uh, extent and House of the Dead. <laughs> um, but yeah, she did scenario writing and like, it's just this very, it's a great glimpse into the entire Fantasy Star universe. Like if there's one game to play, it would be that one. It is a little, it is a little mechanically dense though. So you'll have to probably look at some guides to figure out how stuff works, especially because they went with uh, giving things like otherworldly names. So you'd have to sort of decipher what different spells were you know they it's not like fire or like, like ice like you'd have to be like okay so sue is fire and like juat yeah. is yeah. this is <laughs> or it's not even fireaga it's it's like just totally made up yeah <laughs> is that common of fantasy star or just fantasy star 4 oh uh, it was all of them it, right 
Yeah, all of them. They kept up the the like you know healing items or like mono mates, and then like getting your um, like your technique points or MP is done through like mono fluids, dye fluids, tri fluids. Then there's like atomizers, um, a lot of yeah, like the it, Fantasy Star Online eventually came up with things that felt a little bit more like they had a linguistic association you could understand. But even but not so much like fire was called foy, um, <laughs> electricity was like zande, uh, <laughs> ice was barta, <laughs> so it was kind of yeah you still had to you still had to be like you had to think like over a second to translate the concept from the land. but it would, but I think it was all in service of the idea of this being like an alien world, and they were trying to just come up with these words that were like oh what is that that's strange so i think it was all in service of that immersion even if it kind of came at a cost to him like it made it a little bit less intuitive to play yeah i just want to say like the fantasy star as a series is pretty underrated um i think nowadays people think of it as this uh, online game right and you know mm. it, it, it was the uh, a precursor to monster hunter there absolutely wouldn't be a monster hunter without fantasy star online but um, before that, it was one of the premier uh, RPG series for console, and it was the like sci-fi series, right? Because you know you had Final Fantasy, you had Dragon Quest, but uh, Fantasy Star was Sega's uh, first-party RPG series with this amazing anime aesthetic, and it's always been so far ahead of the curve that it's it's almost unfair. <laughs> it's almost criminal. Like if you look at Fantasy Star One, like I just posted some gifs of it, like it had like these beautiful 3d dungeons like like full screen animated smoothly scrolling dungeons like it still looks impressive today it it it, it looks like 2d animation it doesn't even look like early pix pixel art or it, it's it's and then the 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 monsters all have animation like uh, final fantasy wouldn't have animation until part seven like Fantasy Star 1 on the master system, which was technically an 8-bit system, had like these fully animated, you know, beautiful sprites and dungeons and really cool story. And yeah, just um, what an also, amazing series. I think Fantasy Star was also one of the first series to do that kind of Tricoden Final Fantasy Breath of Fire thing, where it started sharing cameos and motifs and consistent elements across the series, even when they departed from... Uh, the individual places they were in because I haven't played much of it, but I do recall being that like being such an expansive series that not all the games take place in the same um, setting. But like like I said, like a lot of um, games, like like as it mentions Recode and Breath of Fire, or whatever. Even if they take place in the same world, they take place in a different area, and the things that make them feel like a cohesive series tend to be more about the words they use or the characters that come up or the cameos or the motifs. And I think they were one of the first games to really do that, being an expansive RPG series. Yeah, like the the Rappies were common between uh, a few of the games, and they made their way all the way to the online series. Um, yeah, the terminology of like monomates and like spells, um, and then the uh, the concept. Oh, oh, good, sorry. good, good. Oh, sorry, didn't mean and, to interrupt. Yeah. Oh, and then they, uh, there's all, 
there i would i think it, the fantasy star series was also one of the earliest adopters to you had a cast member or a party member permanently die like be, because oh. they died in the story and now you don't have them anymore and you feel that loss like because yeah. a lot of people will sort of attribute that to yeah, a lot of people will attribute that to, like, say, like Final Fantasy VII, which was definitely not even the first Final Fantasy to have a character permanently die. But just yeah. so many people are like, wow, could you even believe that? And it's like, yeah, it's been, I think that was happening since at least 1989. <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, and, and the, yeah, the writing and the characters made that also, like, you felt mechanically when someone was lost, but it, it all, it all gelled together with like the narrative too. Yeah. Fantasy star two had a very intense uh, story. Actually. I, I mean, I remember uh, there was even, if I remember correctly, there's like an NPC that commits suicide. Like, yes. Because, oh, because wow. Something so terrible happens. I, 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 that was the first time I remember a character just killing themselves in a video game where they were like, Oh my God, I screwed up so badly. <laughs> like it's, I, I, I felt something as a kid, you know, I was like, my mm -hmm. goodness, like, yeah, never seen like anything like that from a game. Yeah. I want to talk about something very quickly. Like I just found out, <laughs> I just found out about this game series. It's called black matrix zero zero. And like, I've just been sat here looking at this art and it's just been blowing my mind, man. Like, <laughs> I'd, I'd never heard of this game i'd wow, never heard of this game before it's absolutely gorgeous and like yeah like i was just looking and yeah really 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 cool stuff like it really is just like wow it's really really cool it came out on the sega saturn and yeah being uh, oh, the yeah. developers on it will call it flight plan or like pure uh, and pure sound I, I had no clue this was a thing it was released on 27th of august 1998 i'm just having a look through it right now and yeah really cool tactical battle rpg it's got some beautiful huh, cover art to it too it. yeah on that's what i'm saying i, I just found out about it yeah. now mm -hmm. and now i'm obsessed with it richmond like i, I can't do anything <laughs> else nice. like, it's that's all i can think about man it, yeah it's really 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 cool looking and i've got to find out more about this I even had this a game. Dreamcast release. Like the, the cover I'm, of this game wow. has a has a strong, um, you know, uh, cross X from a uh, clump. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Angel Sanctuary or something like that. Oh, a... oh Sean, Sean, you got to play this. It, it is a strongly uh, strong Judeo-Christian themes. It's about. <laughs> Devil heaven. So I, I always ask Sean for like the, the Catholic perspective on anything yeah, remotely it. Christian in, in oh. art direction. So. Well, I, I, I will have to experience it. So just someone... imagine Richmond and, and Sean, you know, visiting some uh, old Christian city, and each time they, they saw they see something like a church or a cross, Richmond being like, You've got to visit this, Sean. You've got to. <laughs> <laughs> like every five kilometers, there's an old Sean, stop, just like my enemies. Yeah. So, no, I so... Even... <laughs> well, I can't even go to Europe just... then. There's like a church every yeah. five feet. <laughs> so go ahead oh so um someone just uh shared the um uh yoneda fantasy star artwork in the channel so uh yeah oh, oh so good oh, okay yeah. so um yatoshi yoneda did fantasy star two and four 
maybe some three, but I haven't really seen it. Uh, so, so it, they used the for Fantasy Four the uh, they used the Hitoshi Oneida illustration for the box art, whereas in the U.S. they used the uh, Boris Vallejo artwork. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, oh man, like Sega also really picks again. Really, they they really awesome picks for their like pro- promo artwork. Like they they pick some artists that like make really standout work like you know well like uh katsuzawa uh, mobius for panzer dragoon um yeah yeah like they like their influences like it's not just it's not limited to um like just video games or like toys or like they they really go and like look for like pop culture like just artists that are just like you know fine artists like doing yeah, like they they had this the in their their influence and like their like where they looked was like so cross cultural. Um, they were kind of like, if I were to sum up like like how their aesthetic like philosophy was is like Sega was like a city pop developer. Like yes. so like this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh my god! god. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you I should have. Oh, oh my god! You, you you say you say the curse words. You're gonna have James. Go on on the something <laughs> I don't know what. But oh man! You started this engine. You're my language. You're, you're, yeah, what oh just the, You just became. Chris, you just became like the, Let's do my it. best friend. Get into it. Oh man! About. Too late. Too late. Already in. That's it. It's oh, already, it's already off the line. We can't stop the it. numbers, Mason. Right, right. The numbers. <laughs> the numbers. <laughs> Oh man! No, I'm just, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get it. Let's get it. Yeah. Oh, man. Sorry. So, like, yeah, I mean, they because a lot of their influ- you know, a lot of their influences weren't just you know limited to you know game stuff, but it wasn't just limited to Japanese influences either, and just you know, in the way that city pop music was sort of a, uh, um, reaching out and collecting influences from everywhere, and like. Even the Sega, so Sega's like artwork and even their like their graphic design sensibilities even had that like pop culture sensibility. Like a lot of, you know, Sonic artwork is framed with this like, you know, really strong geometric language that was very of the 90s. And there's a lot of like new Jack Swing kind of feel going on with stuff. And yeah, 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 totally. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's fun. Like like they they gave they gave things, they gave characters, like it, it all lended to everything again feeling like it existed outside of just the frame of reference of you looking at any given image or screenshot. And I think all of that helped, you know, foster that image. It's it's sort of like how when you look at like King of the Fighters art, like a lot of it's not fighting, mm-hmm. like right? It's like them chilling at parties, doing cool stuff, yeah. being cool people. And it makes you feel like, oh, it's so cool to know that, like, this is how this person who, you know, throws someone 150 feet in the air lives. Like, (laughs) (laughs) It it interestingly breathed a different sort of life into those characters. Um, Mm. I mean, it's part of why King of Fighters is such a huge influence on, like, the stuff that I do myself. So, like, yes, they fight. They do amazing things. But... Uh, seeing them in that different light sort of gives them a certain level of depth, even in a single illustration. Um, and it, 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 it really can uh, 
just encapsulate an experience that is really unforgettable. I, I just want to drop some trivia. Uh, uh, so we're talking about Sega's city pop approach to game development, how they, they, they draw from all over the world. Just the other day, just totally randomly, um, I, I, I'm part of a, a, a group called like uh, uh, Old Guys Into Comics. I'm, I'm not that old, but um, it's like a retro comics thing. And, uh, stop it, Richmond. You're not that old. You're stop that. <laughs> Someone uh, name dropped. They, were, they, they posted a sketch from their friend, uh, Tony Dezuniga. And I was just like, oh, that's a beautiful sketch. And it was just this uh, cool, uh, you know, it, I, I looked up that artist. It turned out he was like the first uh, artist from the Philippines to work for Marvel. Um, and, mm. You know, he, he, he was like a groundbreaking artist. And then turns out he was hired by Sega of Japan to do a bunch of like paintings. So he, he worked on like Dynamite Cop, uh, Die Hard Arcade, uh, Alien Front Online. Like he, so they just hired this dude from you know this awesome Filipino artist um, to to do like uh, art for the for for those games and then of course uh, Comics Zone, uh, mm. he 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 was one of the wow, uh, art leads yeah, on that yeah and he he won like some sort of internal award at Sega or something, um, but yeah yeah they really were drawing from all over not just America and Japan and Europe like they they really were just trying to find the most interesting artists from all over the world to work on on their games. Absolutely, that's so cool. You you could say that through uh, all the DVDs, CDs, and cards. What do you mean that Sega gave us plastic love or something like that? Oh wow! <laughs> <Very nice. laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nice. I'm sorry. Nice. Oh my real, god! Oh my god! Real plastic love. You absolutely. You you have become I'm a city pop dad for the next five minutes. Absolutely. Like <laughs> that joke. That's dungeon. Dungeon. <laughs> Thomas yeah. is dungeon. That's it. Yeah. Muted. Muted. Thomas is not yeah. sorry at all. By the way. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. No, no, no. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, go honestly, to the city pop jail. <laughs> yeah, you have to go to city pop jail. Now, honestly, though, like in terms of that, just how popular that that song like has become, it kind of does speak to a sort of um, not just like a cult classic like love, but just a general sort of like standing the test of time that so much of what we talk about, you know, like has that longevity, that replayability, all of it. So I mean, like, yeah, like even just like mentioning that right now, like a lot of people feel that way how we feel about that song, about all the games which, and all of the stuff which we're talking about here. So yeah, I, I've always loved that, just the fact that we can sort of you know identify so many cool things from the past and still find new cool and interesting things about them or show them to new people who've never seen it before like yeah really really cool stuff and i think there's a big reason as to why it is that we're seeing this massive sort of like resurgence in you know like the popularity at least online of like a city pop and all the rest of it it's, it's really interesting i'll have to look into that some more i mean when you look at it i mean the music that's usually used in city pop and then the games themselves that we're talking about were some of them were made collectively in the same era so mm. there's this sort of there's a synergy there of why the shape shape language that we see on you know covers of games and the stuff we see in games themselves and you look at like album covers maybe back in that era in that time uh, there's a there's a synergy there that just sort of just it it I guess it adds to the idea of like all this stuff was super amazing it's still amazing uh, and now because there's so many people that maybe haven't seen it. Um, being i guess reintroduced or introduced to it for the first time uh you know it just it causes people to go back and say hey wait like i grew up with all of these games that are like cool and new and modern 
but some of these games I've never played before they were made before I'm born, they have a different feeling and a different experience that it makes people curious about. And I feel like when we're, you know, having podcasts to talk about these things and expose these things to new, like potentially new fans, um, it, it not only creates new experiences for them, but it also kind of continues to reinvigorate this idea of like, you know, pixel art is, has never died. It's always been alive. It's always been, you know, here, uh, you know, as much as I love new games, I mean, sometimes I still get mesmerized of when, you know, a character jumps into the water puddle on Gen stage in Alpha 2. Like yeah. just seeing the ripple mm-hmm. effect, like it's such a simple thing, but it's you feel it, you know, like it's it, it looks very simple, but so much work went into how to make that work. I mean, just getting stage alone has so many like interesting uh, lighting effects on its own. But just, yeah, there's so many people that didn't grow up with games that look like this. And it's like for them, it's completely new, you know, as for us, you know, mm-hmm. we've grown up with a lot of it. Um, but just this these things are the reason why we're even having this podcast represents the fact that there's no such thing as these things dying out. Uh, they're still just as amazing as they were uh, the first time that we saw them. And for the first times that new people are going to be oh, seeing yeah. them as well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. you, you talked about city build that made me remember what space channel five, you know, where you like a TV lady <laughs> and you're like, on your heels in your city outfit i would say but in space and you fight alien aliens by making them dance <laughs> you mm-hmm. can't be more sega than that sometimes <laughs> it's it's but, such a lobster peanut butter of a game but it makes so much sense <laughs> and it's just so <laughs> like <laughs> like, <laughs> it really is it's but like doesn't, doesn't, doesn't make sense but tastes good yeah <laughs> but it tastes good dude <laughs> yeah <laughs> lobster peanut butter wow is that what so what is that what we're going to call this podcast then this episode <laughs> I mean, I'm down the, <laughs> the lobster peanut butter of games sega yeah yeah <laughs> oh my god no but, but for real though it's a really good thing that you just mentioned there too with regard to like space channel 5 and stuff like just again like the fact that all of their games, or so many of them anyway, they feel like a party. They have this really nice sort of like, again, it's that it's that 2000s vibe. It really is. I was talking about this with my friends recently again. And just the fact that like the range of games that were being developed and stuff, obviously they still are today. And obviously, of course, they're being developed in indie spaces, which obviously, you know, with regards to the access, with regards to how it is that we have these um, the, the software to make the games and all the rest of it and the hardware more, much more like available and much sort of like, easier to be accessed and stuff by everybody. Like we're seeing a lot of games now that are indeed sort of like a lot of spiritual successes to other game series too. So for example, even even though it didn't do like so great, I forget the name of it now actually as well, but like the Sonic creator just came up with this other game with like the with that with the character with the hat on and stuff. And I forget the name of it, but oh, what, what was it called again? Bell and Wonderworld. Um, yes, Bell and Wonderworld. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Yeah, that. that that game like coming out now. It reminds me of like a Billy Hatcher or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like it feels <laughs> like Billy Hatcher, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it feels like it would exist like alongside of like that in that period of time. Like I would go to a store and see those two games like next to each other. Do you know what I mean? Like that's what that feels like to mm-hmm. me. So I think it's really interesting that that sentiment, at least with regards to a game type and how and how that makes us feel, it's cool to see that that still like exists in some form today. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. What's what's interesting is that we we all around the all along this podcast we've been talking a lot about you know feelings that we that we have and that's something very interesting because 
the we, we talked about the blue sky we talked about the sounds the music a lot of things the aesthetics and there's this um we can of course like i don't know um we can of course like cite a lot of games and things we we like but i have this feeling that you we we share a common experience of feeling something very special instead you know of uh, like we can we we've talked about a lot uh, of street fighter and the the capcom artistry of sprites and animation in this podcast you know but you when we talk about sega we've we are all talking about a feeling or a vibe of something, you know, maybe something that it's less technical, but something that is more, uh, more of a more personal. I don't know if I'm clear with this, but uh, that's how I feel about this. Like we've, <laughs> we've in, in, took something inside of, of us and, uh, and now we, we share a kind of common experience, but uh, that's not, you know, a, a single thing. That's like a, uh, a mess of something, I would say. I, it's a cumulative I, thing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think what you're what you're speaking to is that I think Sega maybe has a, a an overarching um, aesthetic philosophy that's consistent in making people feel things by like an, a cohesive approach between the different um, mediums that they're employing. Like when we when we'll talk about like Capcom and sprite work you'll oftentimes not really talk so much about other aspects to how those get like other aspects of those games. Cause like, you know, we can pick out a lot of uh, Sega music and sound and stuff and like, you know, different sort of songs. And when you think about Capcom music doesn't really come to the forefront that much. Like there are some like, you know, bangers there and there's things that turn into memes, but like, the Capcom has it has more of like a they have like a rotating pen of like sound designers and artists in a way that Sega like Sega has like Wavemaster Studio and stuff and they're like internal and they have their hands in so many projects and that you know between the different R and D divisions like you know there's Sega AM one two eight like they all they'll all dip into Wavemaster Studios and. Like it's that sort of, um, I think cohesion that you might be speaking to and, and as to like, you know, and all, you know, also where we experienced a lot of like Sega games, like there were, you know, we'd go to an arcade and get to see all these things. But I think part of it is that there is a, um, there, there is a cohesion across all of these different disciplines that go into the creation of these games that helps make them special and like withstand this test of time and it's why we speak so much from a feeling standpoint mm -hmm. yeah absolutely yeah the the what's what's funny is that sometimes you know the, the only um other developer i would say that has this kind of that gives me this kind of feeling is uh bandai namco for the um, for the, the kind of cohesive sound that you get from Tekken or the um, Ridge Racer series, you know, they have this kind of a bit Sega vibe for some reason of this eccentricity, this uh, this way of saying, oh, okay, I'm listening to this. Should, 
maybe that's uh, a Ridge Racer or a Tekken soundtrack. And often you're, you're right. You know, you can just decipher it because it sounds like it has an, an identity. Just like we talked about Richie's, Ryuchi's Hakamoto or Ennio Morricone. You know, that's the um, when you listen to an Ennio Morricone song, you know it's Ennio Morricone. You know, you yeah. can't mistake it. It's the same for John Williams, for example, that we all know for Star Wars. He did a lot of things, but Richie Sakamoto, John Williams, the Ennio um, Morricone, they, when you listen to it, you're like, okay, that's. I, I, maybe if you even don't know the name of the artist, you say, okay, that sounds just like this other thing like is that the same composer the same family the same you know source and sega really feels like this but both for sounds for musics and also for uh, the imagery the, the aesthetics so that that's quite a fit when you when you think about it that's that's not something you you find like scattered in all types of genres of games and uh, like how can you make you know a game that f that gives you the same feeling by playing a dolphin, a running hedgehog, or uh, <laughs> or a rascal uh, NASCAR game. You know, that f that feels crazy when you think about it, but uh, that works. Yeah. So that speaks for the the the, the, the incredible talent and uh, you know identity that they created. Mm. Absolutely, super well said. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> I had to to say something intelligent after the the previous pun, you know, <laughs> <laughs> to to, to justify coming back for the next one, you know. So, so. absolutely, absolutely. You were like, yeah, "Hey, you're in the result. dungeon, but you gotta gotta get out." Yeah. yeah. Now nah, it's really interesting. I got I got. I just wanted to mention like one more thing at least, anyway, because I think that Richmond was going to mention something too. But, um, yeah. Uh, I think you were going to talk about like, Game Freak, were you, Richmond? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah. You go for that, and then I'll um, I, I want to, I want to cap it off with something else. But yeah, I want to, oh, sure, yeah. want to do a combo move. Yeah. Okay, okay. So I just wanted to point out real quick. Um, so Game Freak, you know, everyone knows they developed uh, Pokemon. Uh, they're super famous for that, but um, they actually used to develop. Uh, they have two games published uh, by Sega. On, on the Mega Drive before they did Pokemon. So the, the first one was uh, Magical Taruruto-kun, which was based off of a, a Shonen Jump manga by by the Golden Boy artist, actually. <laughs> it is one of the perviest uh, comics that has ever made its way into Shonen Jump. It's, it's also weirdly absolutely adorable, too. It's a crazy comic, and they, they made a really crazy, uh, cute... Uh, platformer for the Mega Drive in 1992 and um, you know Game Freak I think they just have some of the best sprite art like it, it's they're so ahead of the curve I mean like Men Mendel Palace for the Nintendo was amazing and then if you look at Magical uh, Taruruto-kun like it looks like a Game Boy Advance game from like 1992 um, and then they followed that up in 1994 with Pulse Man uh, also published by Sega and that that was another one of the attempts to create a a, a cool you know a popular mascot after Sonic and um, I think Pulse Man is just one of the most beautiful looking games ever made like it is gorgeous like the Sparta is amazing you could tell uh, after that first game they really got a handle on the system on the hardware and they're just uh, really utilizing the colors like perfectly. Uh, they're just like really moody, uh, and you just the everything's so well coordinated. Um, 
it's just so nice to look at. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And then Pulse Man was the game that they made immediately before making uh, Pokemon. So, so there's, uh, yeah, that's pretty significant, I think. Absolutely. And then just hopping off of that as well, this is one of those very peaks of like, did you know, like moments and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, before Game Freak like developed like Pokemon, obviously, just as Richard was saying, they made this game called Pulse Man. And one of Pulse Man's main attacks was uh, the move like Voltecca. And it's basically like a clear translation into the move like Vault, like Tackle. And it's funny, it's funny enough that like their mascot from Pokemon later on would go on to have a move called Vault Tackle. And actually, there's a, oh. there's an item called like the Vault Orb that you can get you can get in some of the Gen three games. And then from then, you you're able to like utilize this uh this attack and stuff. But yeah, like it's a really really powerful move in terms of the Pokemon games as well. But also again, it's actually utilized in the Smash games too. So like it functions very similarly to how it is a uh, Pulse Man moves and how it is that he uses Voltec yeah. himself in his games. So yeah, it's it's his final sorry, it's Pikachu's uh, final Smash. So it's one of the really cool sort of like throwback throwbacks what? you know what i mean they're both linked together yeah really, really that's cool crazy stuff. so pikachu's final smash originates mm-hmm. in a sega game <laughs> mm-hmm. wow. i have to ask also pulse man's got such mega man vibes like uh, is it just influences yeah. or are there like artists that worked on it because like it's it like there's some some motifs i, I see in screenshots and art that like make me Absolutely. think like did did they work on this? Like some of the enemies look pulled straight out of Mega Man, but they don't look they don't look copied. They just like they have a lot of references that feel similar. Oh yeah, um, I I don't think there's any overlap. Uh, just because I, I think Game Freak's such like a tight knit uh, team, especially back then. But yeah, I'm certain that was an influence because uh, Mega Man was popular, but. Um, from what I recall, the only Mega Man game was like uh, for 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 uh, Sega platforms back then was a port of uh, I, I think it was port of Mega Man One and Two with slightly updated with updated graphics, but it, there wasn't an original Mega Man game on the Mega Drive. I don't think so. Maybe maybe they were thinking that this would kind of fill that niche. Hmm. One of my favorite things, actually, about a lot of these games, they all they all had like you know the the old evil doctor, evil scientific doctor, villain, evil. Do you know what I mean? Like evil old guy, basically. And like they always have yeah. that same kind of like bald on the top, like haircut <laughs> with like the with it was poked with was poked up hair at the side or something. Thinking of again like Eggman, Doctor Wily from like you know Meg, Mega Man. Like it just makes you think a lot about how it is that this uh. How is it this archetype has just you know always been there in a, in pop culture, and then you've got the young, Maybe. you know, the uh, uh, attitude like protagonists like going out going out them ruining the day, and they're always like oh Pulse Man or oh Sonic I'll get you next time ah like all that stuff like it's very Saturday morning cartoonish yeah back back to the future. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe that's no, it. No, 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 I wonder where that comes from. No, no, I can tell, tell you exactly who it is. It's uh, Professor oh. Ochano Mizu from Astro oh. Boy. Ah, I was okay. sure about this. Ah. The, the, yeah, the 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 I'm 100% sure of that because yeah, I'm not surprised. Like yep. at all. From Richmond. Oh yeah, but but he was the good guy. So back then in um, ah. in in Astro Boy, the the good guy had the male pattern baldness, and the the bad okay. guy had a full head of hair. They they flipped it ah. later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting, huh? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Now, it's kind of funny the way these things work out and change over time for sure, but especially in terms of again how it is that we see like villains portrayed and stuff. Yeah, it's very, it's very much a popular, a popular yeah. aesthetic. 
But you know, we we call you know this meme about uh, is this is that a, a JoJo reference? You know, <laughs> there's you could almost do is that a Tezuka reference for half of Japanese pop culture, oh, basically, yeah. because oh yeah, the, the, totally. he has such an Tezuka had such an influence that you can almost go back to to him all the time. So that's that's amazing. Well, just to close with as well, actually, I just found a really cool um, article uh, for, uh, at NintendoEnthusiast.com. But I think I've seen this before, but there's a video right here with, um, yeah, no English subtitles, unfortunately. But, like, there's Ken Sugimori, and he's drawing uh, Pulse Man. Yeah, just really, really cool Game oh, Freak nice. art director drawing, yeah, drawing some really good, uh, some really good Pulse Man art. Yeah, great character. That was uh, my one of my favorite mascot characters from back then. Mm. Absolutely. Great design. That's so nice. <laughs> okay. Yeah, really cool. Do we let's um I think I think maybe we should start wrapping stuff up. Yeah, definitely. Yay. Sounds Any, like fun. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so so we've been talking about the uh, Sega aesthetic and um you know, first thing I thought of was just blue skies, right? Every every <laughs> game that we mentioned was, just had this <laughs> feeling of eternal blue sky. And then, um, yeah, I think uh, uh, Chris made a, a great point about how Sega's so good at making you feel like the world extends way beyond the borders of the screen. Yes. Right? Like, mm. Yeah, and, and you don't feel limited. You don't feel like, oh, why can't I break off of the 2D plane? It's more like, no, oh, I'm really like experiencing this world. And it's, uh, yeah, gosh. And then, and then we were just talking about sort of the aesthetic consistency. Um, you know, I, I think that's something that just develops from having a close-knit team. Like, I, I think you can't really fake that. You can't just throw a, a group of strangers together and, and uh, have so much cohesion between the, the visuals and the music and stuff. But, um, yeah, so uh, I don't know. Like, can we... What, yeah, what, how, how would you break it down now, now that we've talked about it for like two hours? Like, what, what, is, hmm. what is the Sega aesthetic? There's so much to say, to be honest. But for me, at least <laughs> anyway, I'd say, I'd say a, lot of the, a lot of the mascots and all the rest of it, like, that comes down to having a very specific, like, cultivated, like, identity. And especially with regards to Sonic, at least I'm going to say this, like, Sonic's one of my favorite, like, protagonists, but not only just a protagonist, like, Sonic exists to me as a product but also an attitude if that makes sense so for example just like that kind of like that shaking your finger at the screen tapping your foot that kind of like nah oh, you're too slow kind of like that that's embodied mm -hmm. in a lot of like children and how it is that they like to play yep. and like to have fun and be free and like that is embodied in all of his um in all of his games that he's in like the, like i said before like the idea that he is you know running around breaking machines letting animals free you know trying to work for the, the better of his own environment and all the rest of it i think there's a very specific type of a in a sense like a, there's a bit of like a social justice like in there but not only just that there's, there's a sense of a freedom a sense of a you can't constrain me you can't control me and i've always respected that and admired that about sonic and sort of like the sega mm -hmm. like personification of that so that's what i'll say that's kind of like means to me it's a it's a freedom a, a blue sky yeah. a sky's the limit yeah. sky's wide open that's what it feels like to me yeah that's a that's a good thing we talked about chris said very well about the what's beyond 
the stage that you're mm. you're looking at and that's that's the thing and that's that's basically the the you know how you look at the sky and the the, the sky is the limit and it, it triggers your imagination and your hopes and things like that and this will this will i don't know sega aesthetics yeah it's it's like really truly freedom like you just say aj that's uh that's the thing where you you have you are not you're not constrained by the the laws or the limits or things like that and that's super refreshing even more it was it was of course evident uh in the 80s and in the 90s because the those time were more careless i suppose than they were before but people will say that uh, the 60s and 70s were <laughs> even more careless than the, the 80s and 90s but you know there was still this kind of carelessness everywhere you know it was uh, before that the everything burned and <laughs> things like that so you could look at the the blue sky and say yeah that that's nice it's just a, a nice weather and i'm going to enjoy it and uh, and yeah that's that's great that uh, we feel that the, the message message worked so well and that we we still enjoy them do we and yeah. and it made and the, the sega aesthetics has made so many children like so many other games have it mm. so many people love it so much that's that's an optimism that i think we need today you know in uh Absolutely. in all in all media basically we need this blue uh endless possibility from sega in in all all media today because we need optimism that's that's nice i i'm a sucker for you know post-apocalyptic worlds and things like that but sometimes yeah. i like my big blue sky and stop thinking and just enjoying the moment and that's maybe that's it that's just enjoy the moment for me mm. i i, I want to piggyback off of that um for for me yeah i love that word optimism and, and freedom uh, before I was just thinking like cool, right? Like when I think of Sega compared to like you know uh, Nintendo or ba Bandai Namco or whatever, um, I think like Sega is really cool. But then I think yeah. the secret sauce on top of that is the sincerity. Um, I, I think that's mm. why it's still so potent, uh, especially in the '90s. Um, like with Gen X stuff, a lot of it was about being kind of aloof and being a bit. Um, pessimistic about things but uh sega games were were cool and they had this sort of like edge to them but they were always extremely yeah. sincere and um i i think that's what I'd, I'd i'd love to see more of like just in general just that sincerity just not being afraid to uh put a ninja on a jet ski and a blue sky and rocket mm -hmm. him over the ocean and have him like dive bomb you know robot ninjas on hovercrafts and and just embracing that and not even you know just just making it as awesome as possible with no irony um that, that that's that's what i love that's what i love about sega yeah it's the authenticity it's like it's it's yeah. a endearing authenticity i'd say yeah definitely yeah yeah that's real authenticity yeah sean sean chris yeah 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 I'll go last. Um, yes, yes, yes. Uh, what I was yeah, yeah. going to say is something I, I've talked about before is when I um, I used to spend a lot of time looking at cover art for different things. And I think we've talked about the this aesthetic difference between uh, different regions um, where, like, you look at um, a lot of American-focused cover art and they try to make things, like, 
badass and cool looking and um the reason this relates to Sega is that I feel like when I when I look at the overall aesthetic of not just the games but the the covers is they've really captured this idea of um, like that what we're talking about but it's this like the idea of kind of not carefree fun but definitely this this kind of fun that doesn't take itself too seriously even when Sega does military games or serious things it it has an air of it that makes it authentic right like um, that. Uh, it, it, and that's why it's so inviting, right? That's why it's so iconic. Um, it has all these really good feelings to it. And, and I feel like they've always been like the kind of quintessential, um, quintessential, like fun, actual, like fun video game brand. Like the, to me, they've always nailed that more than anybody else. Like they're, they're kind of, they use much brighter colors. They, they have a lot more care um, in certain areas. Uh, it's like, like I said, nothing ever really takes itself too seriously. It always has, uh, like an air of enjoyment to it, like an, an air of you're meant to enjoy this. You're not, <laughs> it's not meant to, to challenge you uh, or, or be edgy. It's, it's meant to be something that you enjoy with, with friends or you enjoy yourself. Um, uh, another thing I wanted to mention that I, I am like 100% positive is not related, but I think it's an interesting thing to think about, which is that I learned in doing some research that actually the, that Sega was originally founded in Hawaii um before moving to japan uh and i was like well all these carefree like adventurous blue sky attitudes i was like if that isn't uh like i said probably not related but also that seems like a a type of field that you might develop living in a very beautiful place that's got blue skies (laughs) and (laughs) you can go surfing and skiing and uh it's generally considered a very uh relaxing island culture um it was just something that I think Japan shares some of, obviously, because it's an island. But I don't know. I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, combination of uh, conveniences um, in mm. terms of the way that it worked out. But yeah, yeah. yeah. We're, we're, I mean, we're, we're products of our environment, aren't we? So it's like uh, we we think about how it is that we um, that we see the world around us, and that obviously bleeds through into the games that we create and the media that we ingest and also make, and what it is that we say with it. So yeah, I definitely agree with you on that for sure. I wish I could go surfing right now. <laughs> yeah, so to piggyback a little bit off of what you know Sean was saying in terms of like a, a carefree or I guess like a fun sensibility relating to I guess like Hawaii or an island environment. I mean, if you look at Sega AM2 logos, I mean they were a palm tree and like an ocean vibe, a very like surfer sort of yeah. laid back vibe so i mean maybe it does have uh something to do with it um i mean for me i think that what sega embodied was you know it was the brand of fun you know like as a kid it was like you know you go to school and you know for a little kid going to school is like the way you look at going to work like okay let me just do this and then for me art class made it like tolerable but it was still like okay if i could just sit home and play video games or if it could be summer all the time then I would be okay with it. Whenever I played Sega games as a kid, it sort of took me away from the monotony of like school life and like, you know, okay, well, I got to have dinner with my parents and whatever, whatever it is that you didn't want to do test quizzes. You didn't have to think about it with Sega. It was just like, no matter what game you were playing, whether it was a super serious game, uh, whether it was Rambo or Sega Genesis, whether it was Sonic 2 or Echo the Dolphin, like it always embodied that experience to its like umph degree without taking itself super serious and still revolving itself around amusement for you. Um, 
for me like sega was like this the ultimate in like in a summer experience no matter what time of the year it was when i was playing a game uh i used to live near uh well i was born near ocean city and the boardwalks on the beach were literally like arcades going down the block and at that time sega was like king so every arcade you went into there was a huge outrun cabinet there were huge like Sega games everywhere. So before I got introduced to Capcom, before I got introduced to other things that I got into, Sega was the brand that if I were trying to get away from it, I failed. Like it was everywhere. <laughs> so like to me, Sega sort of gives this vibe of just like ultimate entertainment, regardless of where you're at in your life as a child, as an adult, whatever, like you could look at that brand and know that you would be entertained. Uh, and I, to this day, the, those vibes and that feeling still, you know, hits me uh, from, you know, picking my music and outrun and looking at the beach from the dashboard of the car to the waves crashing in the streets of rage too. Like there was just a, a carefree, fun uh, vibe that all of those games have. And uh, to this day, it still rings true. Amazing. Wow. I can't wait to talk about one of these games. <laughs> so, right. um, come on, Chris. It, it, is it me? Okay. Yeah. So, bring it home, Chris. Bring it home. Bring it home. Okay. Bring it home. Bring it home. Yeah. So, I I think... <laughs> so, I think everyone's touched upon a lot of what I would, would say, but I think um, we're all going to have an oh moment in a moment. <laughs> where okay. yeah i think freedom and wonder are things like you know transporting you elsewhere is big thing about sega and i think taking this group of people that are on this you know call right now i think another th I, i'm i'm almost amazed that we didn't bring it up and i didn't think of it until now but when you think about sega like you can type in someone's name the hedgehog on Google and you'll come up with oh, stuff. Yeah, of course. And <laughs> of course, of course. Sega, it, it, Sega inspired so many people to like make fan art, fan games. And it, in a way that you didn't quite see with other, you know, other developers or other publishers. Yeah. And there's just such a, like a huge thing where it appealed to artists and it inspired so many people to make art. And so, you know, yeah, I heard the words like freedom and like endless possibility being, you know, thrown in, in, in everyone's sort of like conclusion here. I think that is a huge portion of it Absolutely. that like it in Sagan's, they're so good at inspiring wonder and it made it like, it's like you would inhabit the worlds they create, but it would inspire you to make your own. And I think that's like a huge thing about what Sega does and why it was this freedom and this escape. And like, if you, so like, yeah, the, the, the fan art and fan culture that it, it inspired is just very telling of that aesthetic, I think. And if you were to like, if you even look at like Sega promotional materials, like if you look at, if you can Google on, on uh, YouTube that or to Google on YouTube, wow. Look up on YouTube, <laughs> the uh, old man. If you uh, look up on YouTube, on the, old YouTube uh, the original, the, um, original fantasy star online promos like their tagline was like the gate to our freedom <laughs> it oh, was this wow. thing about like uniting the entire it's it's actually hilarious like because it's like this it's so grand but it, it really captures that aesthetic so well and i, I sort of want to end with like a recommendation where um 
So there was recently the Sonic 30th anniversary, and there was a 30th anniversary uh, concert where there was an orchestra playing um, all sorts. Yeah, it moved me to tears so many times. Like, I highly recommend everyone listens to it. You can find it uh, on YouTube. And um, but one of the one of the um, themes and like one of the things that the, they had covered was uh, endless possibility from the Sonic Unleashed soundtrack and. It oh, feels yeah. like that song, especially the version from the uh, is Nate wants to battle did the vocals for this performance. Um, that version really gets that Sega feeling and that Sonic feeling and attitude, and I think is like core at expressing just so much of what like Sega does. Yeah, it's yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I totally mm. feel that. Oh man, yeah. definitely. Uh, trust me, wow. uh, we'll escape from the city. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> honestly, rolling around the speed of sound, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. That's it. All right. That that that's a beautiful end cap to this uh, podcast. Absolutely. Okay, let's um, let's close things out. Let's uh, let let everyone know what uh, what you've been working on. Um, I'll 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 start. I'll go real quick. Um, yeah. So you you can um, first of all, thank you for listening. Uh, if you made it to the end of this podcast, hope you had a good time. Um, yeah. If if you want to follow along, uh, you can follow the Art Eater Podcast on Twitter at Art Eater Podcast. Uh, you can also follow me at uh, Richmond R I C H M O N D underscore L E E um yeah and if you want to catch up on the old podcast hopefully we're on whatever platform you like to listen to podcasts on just uh you know subscribe to us on there uh or hop on to arteater.com that's a-r-t-e-a-t-e-r.com and uh, you can catch up on every uh previous podcast uh, we've we've posted there um yeah and then for me um i'm, I'm making a game right now uh at my my company uh, Bidag, we're making a game called zeka tactics so um if you can hop Go to zekatactics.com, uh, Z-E-C-H-A-T-I-A-C-T-I-C-S, Zeka Tactics. Um, yeah, check it out. It's a, it's a turn-based uh, mecha strategy game uh, with graphics inspired by uh, 80s and 90s anime, and we're just pouring our hearts into making a really cool, you know, um, fun, optimistic, blue sky-like mecha game. Uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be great. Please check it out. Uh, Sean? You want to go next? Sure. Um, Sean, so uh, right now uh, I'm spending most of my free time working on a book. Uh, so I wish I had Ooh. more to update on that, but Ooh. you can uh, follow Ooh. me at Daborsk, D-A-B-O-R-S-K. Um, and I will soon be also <laughs> relaunching my, my website that's, Thomas has kindly uh, coded the design for. Uh, I have to put oh, the actual nice. content on it now. So, um, but that will have more information about like writing and stuff. Otherwise, if you're into PC gaming stuff, um, obviously, like, like I said, I, I lead the design teams at NZXT. We make PC gaming hardware, do PC gaming things. So, following me will get you uh, a large amount of that content. So, uh, otherwise, I'm going to also be spending a lot of time editing podcasts because uh, while I was on vacation, we recorded a lot. So, uh, yeah, keep your eye on that uh, Art Eater account as well. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. All right. Uh, James? 
Hello? Hello? James? You there, James? Or uh, Thomas? Just, sorry, about sorry about that. Sorry about that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. to roll yeah. up the speed of sound somewhere. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually... <laughs> You went yeah, too fast. I actually had muted myself, yeah. and yeah, oh, okay, so okay. yeah, sorry about that. Um, actually, when I'm not doing uh, freelance work, I am actually working on. Uh, how do I even begin to explain this? But uh, it's a multi-tiered thing. Um, I actually have a comic uh, that I self-published called Part Time Shuffle. Uh, it is a love letter to a lot of the things that we are talking about, but probably a bit more of a focus on. Uh, fighting games, uh, Vaporwave, and uh, I guess the uh, inner seasonings that make Studio Trigger, Studio Trigger. Um, I'm actually working on collecting a, uh, all the pages and stuff I've done now for a graphic novel. Um, it's actually going to be, it's looking at like over 200 pages of oh, wow. uh, the actual comic itself, uh, concept work, uh, a deep dive into some of the design philosophy behind what inspires me. Um, it'll also have an interview uh, with me and my my partner, uh, actually conducted by Richmond. So that will be <laughs> an, uh, an interesting an interesting right. thing uh, that Amazing. I'm really excited for. Um, it's 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 a lot of work, but it's something that I love. And uh, if you follow my Twitter, if you follow my Instagram, you'll see a lot of. Uh, promotional work for it. You'll see snippets of some of the books and illustrations when I'm not drawing King of Fighter characters every week. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. it's a it's a it's a labor of love. Um, you know, hopefully, if the book gets the traction that it it needs, um, I actually do want to make a fighting game. Uh, that's something I'm slowly uh, making things for that I don't show too much of, just because I'm a little self conscious. But uh, there will be a time where I will. Uh, show these things so if you want to see the progress on any of that stuff uh, comic or game related you can follow me on twitter uh, at b w e f y underscore k u n o i c h i that's beefy kunoichi um, you'll see all of my art and stuff there uh, just random thoughts i have on music and games in general but uh, just a lot of work so um, you know hopefully i can get those out to you um and outside of that, I will be taking commissions at another point, but I'll make an announcement on Twitter for that as well. But part-time shuffle, uh, BV Cool to meet you on Twitter. That is me. Uh, just check it out. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So right. I have way less interesting things to to announce. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, when I'm true. not, uh, I've been doing, yeah, um, shown a website that was cool. I've also redid the design of my own website, which is, uh, the design is cool, but my website is a mess because it's everything I, I put everything and nothing in, uh, inside this. Like the last thing I published was how to, to choose an office chair. Like <laughs> why? <laughs> I don't know, but I wrote something about this and all, and the, the last, last thing I did was, uh, uh, something about understanding memory bytes and bits. <laughs> so <laughs> that's maybe something only developers uh, will understand. So you can uh, check out my website. So it's Thomasaurus, T-H-O-M-A-S-O-R-U-S. And you can find me with the same handle on Twitter. And uh, if you have uh, questions about making websites, uh, particularly if you are artists or personal um, you know, um, freelance people trying to uh, make your place on the internet and you have questions, hit me in my DMs and I try my best to answer them. I can't like develop websites for everyone because 
that's a lot of work. But uh, yeah, if you if you ever need something, like just uh, just send me a DM and uh, we'll try to to make it work. I must say as well, Thomas is one of the sweetest people online. So yeah, you definitely got to hit him up in his DMs if you need some help because he'll 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 be a, he'll be a cool person that can point you in the right direction. You know? Yeah, definitely do that. Yeah, he's a lot cooler than he lets on, and he has I know, one of the I best know, yeah. reviews in the world. I know, for for real, like he's all all the websites that he works on, like are all super clean. Like he's really good at what he does. He's like, oh, I'm not good at it. I'm just like, yes, you are. Like, yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. This guy cool. <laughs> what what did you mean by is way cooler than he looks? What was that? What was that? on. Let's go. Cooler than he lets yeah. on. That's what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fight yeah. me on first. Tr- oh, shit. Now I'm going to lose. Wait, wait. Before you guys fight, I got to do my outro. I got to do my outro. Look, look at these two, huh? Look at these two. All right. So, yeah. What's up, everybody? It's uh, Adam. It's AJ here. Pleased to be here once again. This was an absolute blast. It was really fun to have Chris through. Always wanted to say hi and actually, you know, speak. So that was a pleasure for me personally. So thanks for coming through, Chris. That was rad. Um, yeah, I'm a game and level designer, pixel artist, and an international taekwondo fighter. Like, the areas of my life with regards to this, so I speak about them often on Twitter, so you can find me over there, at, at AJ Mattis, that's A-J-M-A-T-T-I-S. People over there call me AJ, I go by that, or Adam, you can call me either. That's cool by me, cool by you, it's all good. Uh, I love to share and retweet all kinds of cool art and creative projects that I see. So naturally, if you you know if you know do follow me, I'll try and put you guys onto some cool stuff that I like. And then also, again, I love to retweet independent developers too, so i've actually had a couple of people just by virtue of being on here like actually hit me up in my dms and be like oh hey cool uh i like what you're doing and i'm like oh my gosh thank you so yeah it's actually been kind of nice so yeah, if you want to do that say hi i'm always for it very cool uh yeah if anyone else needs some pixel art related work doing or anything else i'm actually active at the moment as well so please get in touch with regards to that if you'd like to have sorry if you'd like to have a conversation regarding that i'm always i'm always you know i'm always uh, ready for that so that's definitely cool uh, drop me a follow so you can hear from more from me and i can hear more from you and yeah take care everybody stay safe and i'll speak to you all next time with all these wonderful fine people looking forward to it all right chris thank you so much for joining us today uh please let everyone know um just how, how to follow you and uh, let them know about uh you know where to where to get your games too yeah cool um so yeah I I was and continue to be Chris. Um, <laughs> you can follow me on uh, Twitter with uh, at risk system underscore game. Uh, you can currently get uh, risk system via uh, itch.io, uh, Steam for PC, uh, Xbox One, and just released uh, this week on Switch. And a uh, current project uh, working on called uh, Bangle and Ma- Maggie is a uh, fantasy uh, side-scrolling action game, sort of like a combination of Odin Sphere and Ninja Warriors. Um, so I'll be hopefully dropping some footage of that sometime in the very near future. Um, just have to get done moving into new place. <laughs> It's looking awesome. Uh, is it okay if I say I've I've, I've seen little snippets? Oh of yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Looking you, amazing. Yeah, it's gonna be a big deal. We love yeah. to hear it. We love to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, and thanks. For Give your money to Chris. Buy buy these games. 
No, I'm, just, I'm, gonna, I'm, not, I'm not even gonna lie. We're, we're all kind of big Chris down here, so you know what I mean. It's just like, yeah, everyone, 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 everyone supports it. Yeah. Like, if you listen to this podcast, you have to buy the game. That's just the rules. Yeah, no, for real. Like, yeah, you, you're morally <laughs> obligated to. You, you <laughs> we we don't make the rules. We just come up with them and write yeah. them down. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you did you know that what you wanted in your life was playing risk risk system in your bed on the mm -hmm. Switch? Because you probably want to do this, yeah. I was just doing that this morning, and it, it, yeah. it, dude, it looks great on the Switch, and uh, it's like a perfect uh, platformer. E even the, the the little button direction pad on the Switch actually works really well with the game because you, it requires a lot of like little fine like tapping uh, movements. Yeah, motions. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I did finally get to play it on Switch last night, and I was like, oh, this does work really well on Switch. <laughs> 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 oh my god, my game's pretty good. Oh wow. <laughs> hey, is that from the dev that my game? Yeah. yeah. So, oh my god, who, made, who made this? Oh my god, it's, it's not bad. <laughs> also, also by risk system, even if you don't like shoot them up, by risk system just to play uh, on a loop the intro of the game, which is basically Sega Cross Evangelion with uh, with uh, ships. So uh, <laughs> just just go and uh, and play it on a loop. Yeah. Yeah. And animated all by Chris. All yeah. one, one person. It's a amazing feat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Phenomenal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, okay, so we're gonna wrap this one up. Uh this was really fun. I had a brilliant time. Yeah. Goodbye everybody yeah. else in the world. Peace out. <laughs> Love talking to you guys. <laughs> what? what is this? <laughs> I'm saying my outro. <laughs> That's my outro. Hehehehe <laughs>